my crazy thing yesterday of my, my first 5K, which ended up not being a 5K. Hopefully it ended up being less than a 5K and not more than a 5K. <laughs> no, it was more like a 10K. Oh, Jeebus. <laughs> Oof. Someone, someone made a wrong turn. Cause you're supposed to branch. We didn't see the signs. Cause, we, and I just followed the pack and I'm like, okay, it's been 40 minutes. I should be close to the end. I was shooting for 45 minutes to get this done in. Thankfully, my, my watch calculates things and yeah, ended up doing about six miles as opposed to like three miles. <laughs> and my feet were sore. My hips were sore. I was going to say, how are the, the bloody hips. stumps that are your feet now? Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that now has 50% more disease immunity. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And yes, 50% more immunity because vaccinations are now happening. Kevin is vaccinated. I have had my first shot. And Richard and Dennis are signed up for their shots. So hopefully that means sometime in the future, and hopefully in the near future, 40K in person can begin again. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> hey. I, am, I am super stoked, uh, especially because my... A, a friend of all of ours and one of my best friends for years, my friend Dan, who has actually been on very, very early episodes of the show, moved in next door like last February and we had all these plans to do gaming like regularly. And then a month later, no, no, we don't. Not anymore. So uh, he he actually just messaged us that he got his second shot. I have my second shot scheduled for the end of the month. And so like he and I are super stoked to be doing like we have huge plans to play a lot of Warhammer Underworlds over the next several months. (laughs) So so no, I'm excited for that. But it also it's just one of these things where this is the thing we need to do so we can get back to doing the thing that we enjoy since we weren't able to do the successful lockdown and tracing that were done in places like New Zealand and Australia. Good job there, everybody. You showed us Mm -hmm. all how we could have done it. But since we didn't take that route, it's vaccinations for us. And so far, uh, things like are going somewhat smoothly. I know that's not been a universal experience, but at least here in Missouri, it went smoothly, which surprised me. But, uh, and I know like we had a couple of people who, uh, responded angrily for some reason to, to my encouragement to get, to get vaccinated, but the vast majority of people are supportive and, and want to see this happen so we can all start getting together again. So, uh, so yeah, if you get a chance, if you have the opportunity, if uh, get on a list, sign up, find a place that's doing walk-ins. It, it just yeah. get this done so we can get back to this hobby the way it is meant to be played in person. Absolutely. But anyway, we are not primarily talking about vaccines today. We are primarily talking about the last part of our how to get started with start collecting sets when we look at various Xenos armies. Uh, but first. A very short news and new releases section and your listener mail. And I say very short because the last couple of weeks have been pretty much Age of Sigmar time. 
Uh, so we had the new Broken Realms Techless come out, more stuff for the Lumineth Realm Lords, and then Cursed City, the next Warhammer Quest game, uh, have all either come out or up for pre-order. And so uh, there has been very little 40K news, but we did get a new trailer for Angels of Death. So we're getting teased more and more of these animations, and I'm getting impatient. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're definitely getting closer because, like, you, you always release, you know, like with any movie and stuff like that, you, you see, you know, the initial trailer and then, like, another trailer, and then you'll start seeing, you know, little... 30 second spots and stuff like that on TV. So it's like, as you get closer to it, they start releasing more and more like to get the hype up. And uh, I hope that means that angels of death and these other animated things are, are coming sooner than later because uh, the trailers look really good. <laughs> oh yeah. The uh, newest trailer has them fighting gene stealer cultists. So, and it's just a, it's just a cool looking trailer, cool looking video. So and again, keeping that kind of monochromatic with red highlights vibe mm. going. So, I mean, it just it looks fantastic, very stylish, and I want it to be here now. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's got to be a it's got to be a decent length too, because they said like the score is thirty nine minutes long. Oh wow! Because they they have uh, I don't know if they've released. I think they've released the whole soundtrack for purchase including on iTunes, I should probably pick it up. <laughs> but there's uh, there's 31 tracks in it with such uh, titles as Call of the Hive Mind, Dreams of Sanguinius, uh, Patriarch Rage, Angel's Legacy. I mean, it's like lots of very evocative names. And so, yeah, I just need to actually listen to the soundtrack and uh, maybe pick it up. But that's going to be the closest I can get to the animation until the animation actually comes out. So I, I want want this to happen. Then they've got a, a new Black Templars one in development called Altar of Wrath, which they are saying that they want this to be the most photorealistic animation yet. Nice. Yeah, I mean, they they definitely have big plans coming out, and they have a, a uh, Warhammer animation newsletter you can sign up for. Yeah, they but they haven't teased how, like, when this is coming out. So we, we don't know yet, but... It, it, again, it's cool to see all this this new media being developed. I'm just hoping that they can find some other distribution platforms other than just the Warhammer community site. Not that I don't like the Warhammer community site, but they need to get yeah. this out there Ow. on like <laughs> a, a Netflix, Amazon, something like that. I think Disney Plus would be a really good fit for it. I think tonally, <laughs> um, you know, the House of Mouse would love to have would love to have this. <laughs> well, I mean, Marnius Calgar does have his own Marvel comics, so that makes I, him officially a Disney princess, I think. <laughs> Not a princess, but nah, I'm pretty sure. So uh, I'm pretty sure that's right. He's an or does that make so him part? Sure I guess, I, or does that make him part of the MCU? That would yeah. be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see Marnius Calgar versus Thanos. I was just thinking the same. <laughs> Uh, Can you imagine the uh, gauntlets of Ultramar with like a set of infinity gems on them and Calgar Calgar snapping his fingers and barely bothered? Uh, (laughs) No, that's true. That would be heresy. Yeah, infinity gems are chaos ridden. (laughs) Well, one of them, well, there's a reality gem. I guess that's vaguely chaotic. (laughs) Well, actually, no, they're gems, so they'd be Eldari. Right. You mean they'll be Eldari souls? (laughs) Yes. Oh. 
Well, they, there's the Eldari soul gem. The right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, no, this uh, is going in way too many directions. Also, I want somebody to paint, convert, <laughs> convert up, and paint this. Uh, I want to. See we already this had happen. our own Than Orc. We yeah. Yeah, that's true. Richard yeah. made us a Than Orc, so. Uh, <laughs> I, I, the, the Marnie's Calgar model kit, and I haven't put it together. You know what yet. you need to do. I'm gonna need that project from you by next episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do not want us to start putting deadlines on projects because I don't have to actually get stuff done. <laughs> right. <laughs> But, you know, he's got that one fist upraised. You know, you might as well, like, just green stuff some gems onto that and call it good, you know? <laughs> oh, oh, and you know what? He's, like, each glove has four little skulls on the, over the knuckles and then a ultramarine symbol with a skull on it. You just have to add one to the thumb and you're good. <laughs> I mean, it's not even a hard conversion job. Ah. <sighs> Yeah, I have bad ideas, and I should feel bad. You should feel bad. I should feel I mean, bad. I, know you I don't. don't. But, yeah. I don't I know at you all. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I imagine we'll probably have some new news at the end of the episode when the Sunday uh, pre-order thing comes up, because I would not be surprised if we see Mechanicus announced for yeah. pre-order next week. That feels right, because um, you know, Curse City was a, had a big, you know, was a big release. Uh, and that kind of you know took a lot of the attention. So I imagine that yeah they'll they'll switch back over to 40k sooner than later, um, and yeah. we'll get Admech and you know potentially sisters at some point soon. I don't know. Like it's I I still thought it was going to be sisters, but I think I'm begrudgingly saying yeah it's going to be Admech. Maybe sisters next. They've said Admech will be next. Like they've I know they've that's why come I'm out and said that saying. yeah. So but I I think you could easily see because I don't think either. Either release window is not going to have, like, a huge amount of models. Like, the sisters will have a few, but I don't know that Admech has any new models coming out, so... It's you mostly can easily to unif... Mm-hmm. Well, they've got the uh, the Muscatari Marshall that they know. Oh, that's true. That's true. So we know that's coming. But, but we don't know like, how far off that is, but... Yeah, but I think both, you, you could easily release both of them in pretty quick succession, because you're not you're not doing full, like, revamps. You're, you're just releasing... Kind of like when they did, you know, uh, Death Guard or the Dark Angels Codex release or, you know, or even Drakari. It's like, hey, here's a couple models and a codex. You could do those in pretty quick succession because you're not you're not doing like a Necron style line relaunch. Right. Um, oh, there was one other thing. It's not a release, but it is actually news for one of their new model Mondays. They did have a new Sisters of Battle model. Yes. Yes. The Dogmata. And this was the final new mo- new model Monday article. Uh, so the dogmata is basically what if sisters of battle, but chaplain. Yeah, I like it. And she, I think it's a, and she's yeah. basically got a big like double handed mace as her as her staff staff of office and her her weapon. And she also has the uh, like candles on her backpack, which I saw a bunch of people like comparing to. Uh, Oh gosh, what's the I think for Underworld, they just released a like fire cult or previewed like a fire cult group of models. So like there's one guy that has like this burning like 
flame on top, like on top of his helmet. So there was a bunch of, I saw a bunch of memes going around with people comparing, uh, the candles on her back and the people from those fire cults and stuff like that, which is really funny. Oh, no, those are for, uh, those are for Necromunda. Oh, are those for Necromunda? Oh, I thought that was, okay. Those are redemptionists for, uh, Necromunda. So they are, they're, they're even more in line with that. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I think it's a cool model. Yeah, they say on the battlefield, while a dogmata is nearby, your sisters of battle will know that their every deed is being watched and judged, so they'll perform whatever duty has been assigned to them with utmost determination and vigor. If you're looking to get the most out of your Adeptus Oritas units, a dogmata will be a crucial addition to your collection, so keep an eye out. She's coming soon. What if they surprise us with a sister? Maybe, Dennis, you could be right. Maybe they surprise us with a sister's codex. It could be, but I I think they might be waiting to... Like you said, maybe show one or two models at release too. Mm-hmm. So, but it's like we've like obviously we've got the Palatine that was in Piety and Pain. Before yep. that, yes. they had revealed the Paragon War Suit. You know the yes. the Lady Gun, yeah. the Nundum, the Nundum. Um, and then we have the uh, the gigantic Sisters tank as well. Yeah, the Castigator tank, and now we have the Dogmata. So obviously they've got like a whole line of models ready ready to release one of which is already out now and you know in a limited form and so it's like yeah this seems like I would be more like if they hadn't announced during the last preview that Mechanicus was coming and was getting a new character I would almost think that Sisters would be next in line yeah but I could see it going either way. I'd really like it to be sisters, but I suppose Mechanicus players, you know, they're they're the ones where they have a codex where it needs to have the new stuff from mm-hmm. uh, from Psychic Awakening rolled into it. So I won't yeah. begrudge them their chance to get an updated codex. No, I agree with that, but I definitely think that I think sisters is coming. I would I would assume very soon. I, I just it seems like everything's kind of pointing that way. Mm hmm. Poor Tau players. They have so long to wait. I mean, they got to figure out what they want to do with that codex. And I, I imagine that's probably the design tension right now of trying to figure out how to make that army work in this edition. Yeah. Uh, it's it's going to be tricky. Uh, and we're going to have to try to tackle a little bit of that today because that's one of the armies we're looking at. <laughs> but, uh, but before we get to that, I'm going to switch over to listener mail as always these letters are written by you the listeners and we'll tell you how you can get your letter read on the air at the end of the segment uh so first off we have a letter from shay straight shay writes good day recruits cadian sergeant Steele here writing in from the ruins of the cadian system for advice on starting a guard army let's be honest almost no one likes painting a horde army and the infantry are absolutely the core of the guard To help with this, I always recommend the following approach for building your army, starting at 500 points and adding roughly 250 at a time. But as for units, and to aim for a thousand point force to build up to, he recommends two company commanders, uh, one tank commander with battle cannon and sponson weapons, don't glue them in, try them all out, three infantry squads, add vox casters for flexibility, Uh, a unit of bulgrins with slab shields and power mauls, Command squad or special weapon team with plasma or melta, two basilisks or manticores, and one chimera with flamers or heavy bolters. Uh, depending on extras, this comes very close to a thousand points. From here, you can take the list in a multitude of directions that fits the style you're most likely looking for. Don't be afraid to add things like plasma pistols to the company commanders or track guards on the chimera to get more bang for your buck. 
I also say basilisks or manticores because basilisks, although less popular currently, fill a different role and are important for the guard. They are the major anti-armor artillery with higher AP than a manticore. Players should go with basilisks if they aren't wanting to deck their infantry out with a bunch of special weapons to get the work done. If you want to make this a 500-point list, just cut out one basilisk, one tank commander, the bullgrins, and the special weapon squad or command squad. Happy to discuss guard lists more. Cadia stands. Shay, a.k.a. Cadian Sergeant Steel. Now I feel bad about making fun of Cadia in the intro. I, I, I don't. <laughs> I, don't. I mean, hey, I, mean I, I don't really, I but was, I appreciate the list, the input. <laughs> I was just happy after the first sentence. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh, uh, someone asking us for advice on guard. Then he's like, here's the, the advice. I'm like, oh, good. He's giving us the advice. Thank you. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See a need, fill a need, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and when it comes to guard, we are absolutely needy on knowledge. So, Shay, thank you very much for writing this in. And yeah, no, this looks like a, like it would be a solid list. It does have the the key components of like the the three infantry squads which as you said are absolutely core to a guard list mm-hmm. and the bullgrins is not one i would have necessarily expected but i understand they're a good choice so and it's it's a good way to have a little bit of a an assault or kind of a defensive assault element mm-hmm. definitely a roadblock kind of, to kind of protect your your core your key units and things like that yeah. <laughs> your your squishy man meat underneath uh, no, let me read. You said the it, not me. I did, and I, I regret every moment of it. Every syllable of that, I regret. Uh, but, uh, but also the, the uh, flexibility on like going basilisks or manacores. And I've seen basilisks get ridiculous amount of work done mm-hmm. in, in eighth edition. So, uh, you know, they ha- with the addition of ninth, giving them like blast weapons and such, I imagine they're even scarier. So. Uh, yeah, so no, Shay, re- we really appreciate this. Um, and yeah, I think also just his general strategy of start at a 500 point li- list and build up slowly, which is why generally the start collecting boxes are, have been an okay point to start at because some of them get you close to that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the guard one does not, but. Any horde army, you're going to ha- hit that kind of difficulty. But by leaning heavily into like, manticores and a tank commander and such that does help stretch out your points quite a bit and some of this like the uh let's see you don't like you wouldn't have you'd have the commissar left over but you do have a if i remember right the start collecting box for guard has the infantry squad has a tank so you could at least use that as like a start of this and then just buy the extra stuff you need right yeah, and the same with like the Cadian Defense Force that we talked about as well last time. Like it comes with a command squad and two infantry squads. So, um, yeah, you could pick pick either the start collecting box or that Cadian Defense Force up, and then buy go from there and buy the the additional units, tanks you need. And actually, yeah, the Cadian Defense Force it includes the tank, it includes a Chimera, it's got two infantry squads, it's got the command squad. I mean, that's two thirds of the list right there. Yeah. And yeah. Buy you can use one more. Everything with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Buy one more infantry squad, get a couple of company commanders, get the, uh, the Bulgrins and the Basilisks and you're good. So that's probably that, that product right there is, is again, the, the one I would recommend starting with. And so, yeah, I think this would be, I mean, it would be a good jump start into getting that list together. 
And I think we did figure out it comes close to about 500 points. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Next letter is from Elliot Chiotani. And Elliot writes, hi, I'm fairly new to the hobby. I have a ton of minis, but obviously hadn't had much opportunity to play this past year. Uh, my question is, how does one go about testing a list? Games are so long and can be so swingy. Sometimes one of my big expensive units dies without getting a chance to attack. How do I differentiate between how good a unit is and how I personally played it and just bad luck? Thanks. I really enjoy your podcast and look forward to it every week. Well, thank you, Elliot. Um, yeah, so how do you test a list? Uh, and unfortunately, there's no good way to kind of automate this process. Right. <laughs> and, and Kevin I, has definitely been, like, I know you've been on the receiving end of the, I want to try this out. Oh, it's dead on turn one. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the worst feelings, because, like, especially in previous editions with the vehicle rules, my Chaos Mauler Fiend would get stunlocked the entire game and not move and just sat there doing, doing nothing. And like, that's incredibly frustrating. I think a big part of it is understanding, you know, looking at the codex and kind of understanding what you want the unit to do and seeing if it's, if it fits that role and like how you want to use it. The other part of it is it's going to be, you want to be able to think of a unit by itself, but you also want to think about it in context of the rest of the army and the other units that you're putting out there. How does it work with other things? How does it, how does it interact and do something different than a different unit on the field? And then the other part of it is just try to play as many games. Like that's really the key thing. And, and obviously that's not something that's of, you know, easily available for everybody right now. But the best way to figure out your army is to play, come up with a list that you think is good and then play it at a tournament, you know, play it over a weekend, play it, you know, three to six times, um, against a variety of opponents because, the game can be swingy. Um, it it appears to be a little bit less swingy in ninth edition, but you know you're still you're still going to have games where that un- that assault unit just rolls ones for everything and doesn't kill anything, or somebody is going to get lucky and alpha strike your big unit off the table, top of the you know top of one. Um, so you, you definitely don't want to give up on a unit uh, too quickly. But, you know, if you're playing it multiple times and you run up against multiple different opponents and you continue to run into the same things, then that's when you really need to start thinking about what's, you know, what, what is this unit? What am I trying to do with this unit? And is it the best, you know, points, point sync for it? Is it the best, you know, damage output, whatever you're, you're trying to, to find? And, some of that's going to come from gameplay. Some of that, you know, can come from, you know, the, the math hammer, uh, element of the game where you just kind of look at the, look at the codex and decide whether assault intercessors or heavy intercessors are better at holding objectives. Obviously, one's going to be better than the other, but like, what, what are you trying to do with it? If you're wanting to set a unit on an objective and hold and camp out, is this the best unit? Is there other options? Um, so really it's just kind of, there's a lot of theory hammer and a lot of it's just getting out and rolling dice. And sometimes, you know, um, if you can't do it with other people, uh, sometimes it might be useful to just do like kind of one-on-one matches where you take a unit against another unit and, you know, put it on a table and just play, you know, play against each other and roll all the dice and just see what happens. Yeah. I mean, that's really the best, the best way to figure it out is to just use the unit and use it in a bunch of different scenarios. Yeah. And sometimes losing can be the best teacher. Because 
when things like you can't just look at a unit it's like, well, when things go great, this unit is awesome. But when you lose, you need to figure out like, why did you why? lose? Did you lose because it was a bad matchup? Like this army is the hard counter to your army. Because while we don't get a lot of, you know, paper, rock, scissors in 40k, there are times when like your list is just not good at dealing with another list. Uh, it used to be that way of like, if you had an assault army and you were lined up against a very heavy shooty army, that was going to be a bad day for you. Now they've mitigated that somewhat. Uh, but you know, there, there would occasionally be cases where it's like, or look, here's, I'm fighting an all psychic army and I'm playing Tau. I have no psychic defense whatsoever. I'm going to have an uphill battle. Right. Sometimes you will lose because of deployment. I know I have lost games because of bad deployment. Where, like, I did not deploy properly. I either put myself too far out and out of line of sight, or I put myself too far forward and in, did not anticipate a, a, an early assault, things like that. So, you don't learn that from winning games. You learn that from losing yeah. games. And the only way to lose a game is is to play a game. You can math hammer to an extent, like you can you can figure out like yeah this unit is going to be a roughly this killy for example but it's going to be harder to determine this unit is going to hold objectives really well until you've had a chance to actually see it in action and that's just like there's just no good way around that other than just to do it uh but as you said like uh you know playing small kind of one-on-one unit games or even if you have like, you say you have a ton of minis. If they're all for one army, you can still see if you can split them into two forces and yep. take some time and try to play a game, like, play a game against yourself. Try, you know, try to beat each half, beat the other half. Yeah. Um, And smaller games can sometimes help with that just to get it done quicker, because a smaller game can tell you, at least at that scale, how well, like, if a unit doesn't, like if a unit underperforms at a very low low point level it's unless it's like a like a, a unit that's definitely made for fighting against more expensive units like if it's heavy anti armor or something like that or if it just eats up too many points to be effective at a lower level then it's probably not going to work that well but like you'll be able to tell like if some of your like core infantry and how you're using it is working at a small point level as opposed to and so you can like play like play a 500 or a 1000 point game against yourself and mm. and see see how that works and just do that repeatedly you're absolutely right kevin just playing a list over and over again at least i mean like i usually when we were doing tournament circuit i generally wouldn't change up a list until i had played at like two six round tournaments because yep. that would give me a fair amount of feedback on like how is this playing against the lists you're likely to see in a competitive environment. And that's also the question is like, what environment and what are you trying to get out of the army? Like, are you looking to play a tournament? That's going to be a lot different than I'm going to be playing in a league with my friends or I'm going to be playing in a narrative campaign. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned playing smaller games and I, I, I definitely think that in ninth edition, they've really kind of nailed the scale with the changing boards and like just the way the game itself works. So I think that playing a 500 point game is much, much closer to indicative of how a unit will perform in a larger game than it used to be. Cause I know 
I know in previous editions, we would play smaller games and like units and armies would just play completely differently. Um, so I, I think they've kind of fixed the scale. So I think you can glean a lot more out of playing those smaller skirmish games and, you know, just getting familiar with how a unit works. And then the other part is you mentioned as well, like, I just want to reiterate, like the best time, you know, the best quote unquote army that I've had on the tournament circuit was when I played my corn demon kin every other weekend for about two years because we were having tournaments up at the game store. We had, you know, we were going to three or four GT level events a year. Um, and I just played that army nonstop for, you know, two to three years and got crushed quite often. You know, as Jason, our, our local uh, chaos player, would just relentlessly kick my ass with that army. But every time, you know, we talk about okay, you did this deployment wrong, or you, you went after this unit, you should have gone this. And that's that's how you learn. Like, you learn from, from playing games and then talking about it, kind of dissecting and figuring out what you want to use, and just playing and focusing on the same force. You know, it, it, since Elliot mentioned he's new to the hobby, that's great. That Like, mo- I assume everything is mostly one force, um, even though you have a lot of minis. You know, pick a list and play it and just play it and play it and play it. And that's, that's the way you're going to get best with it and figure out how it plays and what it does. This whole like skipping around and playing eight different armies at eight different events. Like I do currently is, is not good, but it's a way for me to justify spending money on models. So (laughs) (laughs) that's, that sounds more of a you problem than a gaming Mm -hmm. problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is the point where I give advice that I don't take. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's, it really does come down to just just repetition and knowing what you want out of a list and and again you know kind of keeping your finger on the pulse of of what's going on in whatever group or community you're wanting to play in because like i i know that you know when i the last major events i went to with any regularity uh, i was playing my townar list now, I wouldn't do that anymore because they changed the rules on the town R and the tricks that I used then don't work now. So that wouldn't function properly, which is a shame because that was a lot that aren't that was a very fun list to play. I also generally went 50 50 with it. So it wasn't a tournament winning list, but it was a lot of fun to play. And that's one of those cases where I don't care how well the town R performs because like I want it to perform well, but I want to take the town R, so I'm going to play it regardless. It's probably not the optimal choice, but it was a fun choice and it gave my opponents generally fun games because they had to figure out how to deal with this monstrosity on the board. Uh, but use guns. Uh, actually guns help. Guns, guns help. were the least useful plan against it. <laughs> I had taken well, all sorry, the guns. I- I don't think Howling Banshees could handle it. Um, not then, possibly now. <laughs> the the new rules for it, like like I said, the the rules that I would use to keep that thing alive don't work now. And usually, if it died to anything, it did die to assault. Yeah, but uh, but actually, actually, Dennis, you know, the last game you and I played was a ninth edition game, and that is one where being at a smaller scale would have played out differently because I think your Banshees overperformed compared to what they would do at on a larger table. Well, that and you couldn't fit a town R in that small of a table. 
No, no, I couldn't fit a town iron. That's small table. Of course, that was also when the rules were very like the eighth edition rules were still in place, but we had like I think the point values came out where like the town iron was like seven hundred and fifty points. So I theoretically could have fit it into the list I was playing, but I probably shouldn't have. <laughs> that would but, have been uh, most of the list. That would have been most of the list. Now, yeah, now it definitely wouldn't work. But but that was a case where like. You were a- because the Banshees shut down Overwatch, which is like the one thing Tau have now. <laughs> it's like that, that pretty much locked me out of dealing with assault and the table on the smaller table. You were very, very fast. And so that, that was a case where at a smaller game. So it's like you almost want to play a smaller game point size, but maybe on the size of the table you're going, you want to play on. So like, play thousand point armies on a 2000 point table, which is going to be a bit weird, but I think mm-hmm. it would get you a closer simulation of what you're, of the behavior you're looking for. But yeah, Elliot really when it all comes down to it, it is, you know, how's one go about testing a list, play it, play it, play it. Also multiple plays will break down that variance and it'll, it'll even out the swinginess. Mm-hmm. But you can't just play a list once and say, well, that didn't work play it several times and then figure out why it didn't work. And then that will also tell you, is this not working because I'm, it's just bad or is this not working because I'm using it wrong? And the more you use it, the more you'll see what does work, what doesn't work. And then if you change it up a couple of times and feel like, no, it doesn't work in any way. That's when you know the unit is bad for, for what you want out of the list. So, but you don't find that out until you just play it and play it and play it and play it. And then hopefully people will be able to do that before long. But I understand right now that's kind of tricky unless you have a bubble of people who are playing. And then our final letter, kind of a short but very open-ended comment from David Zare. David writes, what are your thoughts on 3D piracy? And by this, I am assuming he is referring to the fact that people have started doing, with, with 3D printers, especially resin 3D printers, becoming far more affordable and available people printing their own model, like not just printing custom built models, but downloading 3d scans of games workshop, official models and printing their own ones. (laughs) And uh, what our thoughts on this are. So I will say officially that you should only ever get official 3d files from legitimate sources and you should not, print copyrighted materials and things like that. Uh, and I'm saying that in a legally like responsible way, you should follow uh, the rules and not do 3d piracy. Um, and now that the feds aren't listening, um, I don't really have a problem with it. Like it's 3d. So at this point with 3d printing, it's, it's not cheaper. It just isn't. It takes more time. It takes more materials. You have to find the files. And like, yeah, you know, there are, there are files out there for things that, you know, that exist in the GW space, exist in other areas. I would prefer that people buy the models and support the hobby and support the company that makes them. But if you decide to go the route of, you know, resin printing an entire army, for example, most people that I've seen doing it are doing it in a way to customize it or come up with an interesting variant, which I think also helps the hobby that people are coming out and with unique and creative ways of doing things, which 
you know, conversions and, you know, all, and all of those things and unique paints, paint schemes and kit bashing, stuff like that is a vital part of the hobby. And 3D printing is a tool that helps that. I, I don't know. Like it's, you know, definitely piracy is bad. Like it's bad for the hobby if you just go through and you download illegal files and 3D print your own models for everything. But also at the end of the day, you're not saving time. You're not saving money. Like it's, it doesn't, it, it seems like, I don't know. I, I don't understand why somebody would, would do that just to like, oh, I don't want to buy GW stuff, but like you're still playing their game and buying their rules and supporting the hobby. It's, I don't know. Like it's, I don't have a problem if somebody shows up to an, to an event with a, well-made, well-painted 3D printed army. I don't really have a problem with that because I know from my own 3D printing experience that you have spent a lot more time on that and a lot more energy and work than you, you know, you would have to buy the models and paint them and do all the normal things. So I'm, you know, I, I don't want to say that people shouldn't buy the GW stuff. Or you should just pirate it. But like, Usually people that do this and put that much effort and energy into something have done it because either the model is unavailable, which in which case I have zero problem doing it. Like if you want to print the uh, uh, the Chaplain Dreadnought, which is now a Legends model, but like Forge World used to sell and doesn't sell anymore. Yeah, go for it because you can't get that model anywhere. You, you would either be getting a Chinese resin knockoff or a used one off eBay or 3D printing it, like that money's not going to GW in any of those cases. So fine, just do what you need to do. Get get a 3D printed one. But if somebody's going through and like doing this for an entire army, there's a reason for it. They're doing it to customize. They're doing it because they want something custom that GW doesn't offer. So I don't really have a problem with that. Um, I don't know. What's everyone else think? So my feelings on it are, there, there's a couple of parts of this. And like like with you like if a if a model is no longer available and this happens a lot especially with like forge world pieces mhm if a model is no longer available i don't have a problem with somebody uh 3d printing the parts they need to make it like for example right now do you want the old like the the scout titan like the chaos warhound titan well the body is out of stock like if you want it with the uh, yep. with like the chaos symbols etched into the carapace and such, it it's out. Do you want a Mars Reaver Titan? Those are sold out. They don't sell those anymore, so you can't get it. It's like it's not even temporarily unavailable. It's it's gone. They don't sell that pattern anymore. So you'd have to three D print it. Um, do you want to to do like Sonic Dreadnoughts for Empress Children? Yeah, you'd have to 3D print the parts to make that because they don't sell those anymore. I have mm. zero problem for that. I, I don't even necessarily have a problem with it if it's long term out of stock, like if it never seems to be in stock. Although, you know, you should try to buy uh, pieces whenever, like from the vendor from forever, you know, whenever possible, because that's how the company keeps going. Like, mm -hmm. it's, it's weird to think that, like, I like this game, and I want the company to make more stuff for the game, but I don't want to give them any money to make the game, because, you know, their job is just to provide entertainment for me, I shouldn't have to pay them for it, which is a really weird take for people to have. 
Right. Uh, <laughs> and I think that's what it gets down to. And this is going to be possibly one of my unpopular opinions. And I'm sure I'm going to get a little bit of backlash on this, but I'm just going to go out and say it. You are not entitled to play 40K. You you do not have any inherent right to play this game without giving some resources to the people that make the game. They are not entitled yeah. to give it to you for free. The fact that they have released, the, like, like they've released the core rules for free. Uh, in the case of Age of Sigmar, they release all the unit rules for free. Like, you can play a game of Age of Sigmar with just having bought the models and have a perfectly good game. But at some point, the models have to be like you have to acquire the models somehow and mm -hmm. i would much rather somebody give you know pay the company that did the like so that they can pay the artists that did the like the concept artwork and the artists that did the 3d sculpting and figured out how to cut it into pieces to put on the sprue and the people who manufacture like who who run the equipment that spits out those plastic sprues and maintains that equipment and the people that box it up and the people that work in the warehouse to make sure your orders get shipped out and the person who works on the phone to make sure that your store can get that product and ship it to them. I want those people to be able to continue doing those things because if they can't, then we stop getting things for the game. <laughs> Absolutely. And so like I want, games workshop to be successful and to be successful they have to get paid so at some point somebody has to you know has to pay the money and and i know there's some people like but i just want to pay and i just want this one thing and i think it really uh, it especially comes from it's more likely to come from people who are chasing the the whatever the meta list of the week is because they want those models mm -hmm. and they don't want to spend a lot they don't have the money to get them but they need them for this next event because like somebody who's just collecting they're more likely to take the time to to buy the things that they want because part of collecting is knowing you have the official thing but right but at some point like somebody like somebody's got to got to pay the money to the well, company so the company keeps making the thing. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with that. Cause you, you know, at the end of the day, we have to support Games Workshop for the, for Games Workshop to continue making this game and making this product. I don't know, like, I wonder how much of an issue it is of people like ch meta chasing, because especially with like resin or F, you know, FDM printing. So one of my friends bought a Kickstarter recently, which, uh, was fans for Blood Bowl. So it was like, members to put, you know, little models to put in the stands um, for your Blood Bowl games to, like, fill out the stadium. Um, and it was really cool. It was a variety of fantasy, you know, beastmen, minotaurs, you know, halflings, things like that. Things that GW does not produce for a game that GW makes. Right. So, brought it legitimately through a Kickstarter. And then, you know, he sent me the models, like, hey, can you print some of these up? So, I, you know, made everything up, got it all set up. And I want to say it took about 26 hours to print 20 models. And, you know, I did that a couple of times over a few weeks because he wanted, you know, enough to be able to, um, you know, fill out a stadium and stuff. But just printing the models, not doing any of the cleanup, not doing any of the paintings like that was was a day plus per, you know, per batch that I was doing. 
so let's think about this. If you're trying to build like a space Marine army and you're trying to print a squad of space Marines, is it worth it to spend the money on a printer, find the files, get the resin or the filament to do this, which all cost money. And then the day or day plus that it's going to take to print every unit. Like it's, it's not yet scalable and like an actual like replacement for just buying the models. Now I, I do think that there are places where it's absolutely worth doing. Like I'm, I'm looking right now cause you mentioned the sonic blasters on like the dreadnoughts and for free on, you know, on some of these 3d printing websites, there are all sorts of sonic blasters and sonic, you know, noise Marine upgrades because the existing sonic blasters are all the fine cast resin and they're all very like one style but there's sonic blasters that are guitar shaped or all these other things. And like, you know, sonic blasters for dreadnoughts, for razorbacks, for titans. And that's really cool. And I'm like, yeah, print those off, paint those up, you know, paint those up and then attach them to your models and make and come up with a really cool Emperor's Children Army that has very unique looking sonic cannons. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have no issue with people doing conversion bits. Yeah, I would just be less excited if, like, well, I don't want to buy, you know, Chaos Marine bodies, so I'm going to print that like that. I don't see what the point is. Like, it just, I don't know. I, I th- at least, well, I at least for now, the the quality of what GW is producing is so much better than anything you can get at home. Like, that's that's my thing. Well, I think where it comes down to is like you 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 know you you bring up the cost of the printer and the time spent doing it, but to your friend who did the Kickstarter. He didn't have to invest in a 3D printer because he knew somebody who did. Yeah. I mean, he paid quite a bit for it. <laughs> well, I mean, but I mean, it's like yeah. if you have, if you know somebody who is willing to to do the work for you, especially if that person is willing to just charge you for the cost of the raw resin or, you know, or, or plastic spool or whatever you're using to print it. Um, and, and generally, I would say resin printers are going to provide are, are the ones that people are generally going towards because they do higher quality printing. Mm-hmm. I think in those cases, you know, it's like if you know somebody who will do the printing for you and there's a number of services online who don't really care what file you send them to print they'll, they'll print it for, you know, for money. It's like, you don't have to worry about the initial investment in the printer because you're helping somebody else offset that cost over time so it's like it depends on like to the person printing like would i buy a 3d printer to print out copies of models that i can just buy for less no i wouldn't because it wouldn't make it wouldn't be cost effective for me Mm -hmm. but if i was going to buy a 3d printer with the thought of hey not only can i print out stuff but my friends can pay me to print out stuff and i can offer to print out stuff for people and sell it then that's where piracy gets involved you know, involved. I mean, yeah. it's, and at that point, it's no different than the kind of effort that somebody has to put in to do recasting. Cause like you think about all the, uh, you know, the, the offshore recasters, whether they be, you know, in whatever part of the world they happen to be from, they don't, you know, at some point they had to buy like one of the original thing to make the molds of it, or they had, they had to get their hand sure. on it some way. So they had an individual investment, but then they pay off that investment by selling it, selling copies of it at a fraction of the cost. It doesn't take a lot of copies necessarily 
to make that back while the people buying the copies still feel like they're getting a deal. But they're getting a deal because the cost of getting the thing they want is more than they have, but they still have this feeling of, but I want it. Mm -hmm. You know, and 3D piracy gets into kind of this weird digital era where it's like, well, I'm not... I'm not stealing from them. I just have this digital thing that I'm going to make into a physical thing. I mean, it's like yeah. if you want if you want the thing, be willing to pay the people that designed the thing to yes. get the thing. Now, if you want to buy now if somebody is doing proxies, they aren't doing copies, they're doing alternate versions. That's a different matter. And if like, I don't like how, like, I think the answer, the question of, well, I would, I would buy the GW thing and I buy all their books and everything, but I don't like how this model line looks. I want to get something different to proxy for it or to stand in for it. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Like if somebody says, I like Sisters of Battle, but like, I've seen people say like, I like Sisters of Battle, but I don't like that the nude models still do have like the boob plate design. Mm hmm. And so they like like so I'm gonna 3D like I found this this s or this uh is it STL file yeah yeah that I'm thinking yeah so they found this STL file of like alternate bodies for sisters models that have like a smoother like more androgynous armor set and they three have somebody 3D print those or 3D print those themselves that's fine that's as far as I'm concerned you're you're printing something different and unique. And you're just yeah. having it stand in. And I I don't have an issue with that. Because that's not piracy. That's... Right, yeah. At that that's, point, that's that's tra that's uh, uh, its own work, you know. And, right. And it also, I guess, depends on what you're doing with it, too. Like, if you're designing STL files, like, of alternate models based off of GW's intellectual property, yeah, depending on where you're at, that it may or may, or may not technically be illegal um, due to copyright laws and things like that. But you're not going to run afoul of that unless you're like trying to sell those models. You know, if you're just if you're designing like an alternate, as you mentioned, an alternate uh, torso for you know for Sisters of Battle, and then you put that file out there non-commercially and you print it for your own personal purposes, yeah, that's you shouldn't run into any any problems with that. But yeah, I, I mean, at the end of the day, we need to support the company that makes the products. Because that's how the game will continue to go on. But I, I don't... 3D printing is a thing that's... You know, it's only going to become more ubiquitous. It's only The costs are going to come down. The ability to get things is going to be... You know, the, the output's going to be better. And all of the costs are going to go down. So it is going to come up more and more in the future. And I think it just needs to be... It, it's just kind of a reality. Like, I, I you know... I don't know what GW necessarily can do as a company to prevent it or, you know, work with it. Maybe eventually they release STL files officially of their own thing that allow you to print them, you know, under certain licenses. But at least in my opinion now, like, I don't think it's there yet. And I don't think it's particularly close to being able to uh, to being as efficient or as cheap as just buying the models you know, from, from GW in, in a lot of these cases. So I don't know. I, I think as long as it stays in the realm of replacements for models, alternate models, bits, you know, conversion bits and stuff like that, I don't have a problem with it. And if somebody decides that they wanted to go through and, you know, 3D print an entire army and print it out well, do all the finishing, paint it well, show up to an event with a completely custom 3D printed army, I'm not 
gonna like kick them out of my event just because it's 3D printed. Like you still put a lot of time and effort into, you know, into making that and getting, you know, doing all of the other hobby parts to get there. So I'm not, while it may not necessarily be great for the, for the company, like it's still good for the hobby. So I don't know. It's uh, it's complicated. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it is. And I understand that there are, there are a number of kits that are extravagantly priced and mm-hmm. so it's like I it's like I feel for the person who's like, I really want to play this, but I just I can't afford it. But at the same time, it's like I want to play a if I want a PS5 and I can't buy one right now because they're very difficult to get. Does that give me the right to oh, well, I, I don't think there's an equivalent of like making a knockoff, but Okay, well, so it's a bad but, analogy, but yeah, it's well, like but you see. Well, comparatively, you see a lot of people that are selling that are doing the secondary market reselling of PlayStation fives. Like I could go onto eBay right now and buy a PlayStation five if I wanted to pay two to three times what the list price is. So, like that, that's kind of the comparison. It's like, well, it's not easily available. You're going to push people to other methods of getting it if you're if you cost it too high. And there's an argument that could be made. You know, from the like free market perspective, that three, you know, three D piracy or some of these other technologies should, in theory, keep GW's prices at in a more reasonable place. Because if GW continues to do, you know, which they haven't, but if they continue to do what they used to do in the uh, Australia Exterminatus period, where they give like a twenty percent hike in, in prices every year, then eventually they will price themselves out, and people will find alternate methods of getting the models that they still want to play the game. So it it in some in some line, you know, views it it is kind of a check on GW to make sure that they're pricing things in the market because as I said right now, like if I were to do assault primaris marines, there are STL files out there to print my own assault marines or I could just go to the store and pay 50 bucks and buy the models. And they're easier to assemble. I don't have to do the prep work to clean them up. I don't have to spend days printing them. Like, it's it's just easier. And as long as GW can keep their costs and their prices in line where it's easier to just buy their stuff, people will buy their stuff. Co- going back, you know, uh, in the 2000s with, like, you know, Napster and, like, I was just music thinking piracy. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, what killed online music piracy was iTunes iTunes made it so easy to just buy anything, for, you know, with the click of a button. And people overwhelmingly are like, yeah, I'll pay a dollar for this song that I know I want because I know that I'm not going, I could get it for free on LimeWire or Napster, but also I could get a computer virus or all of these other risks. I would just pay a dollar to get it from the legitimate source. And I think that holds true overall in the market. If it's easier to buy the legitimate product from the supplier, people will do it. People will only go out of their way if they have a very like specific idea in mind of something that they want that isn't available. Or if, you know, there's always going to be a subsecond of people that are just like, I, for whatever reason, I don't want to give GW my money, but I want to play this game. And those are the people that are going to go to Chinese knockoff recasters or, you know, wherever else they're going to go regardless of whether 3D printing is viable or not, because they've just decided that they don't want to give money to the company. And I don't know, like you can't really weed those people out. 
No, I, I, I don't suppose you can. There's always going to be people who, who feel like they, they want to do the thing, but they shouldn't have to pay for the thing. Yeah. Um, and which is why I just like, uh, it's, it's an entitled mindset is, is, you know, it's that, mm-hmm. that idea is like, oh, well, I want to do it. So I should be able to do it. And it's like, yeah, but at the same time, like I said, if you keep pirating the thing, yeah, and encourage. I, I think that's the other thing. Is like if you like if one person pirates it, it's not necessarily a huge deal. Like if one, like the average person who like just decides like one day I'm just going to 3D print stuff out, or maybe I'm into you know I got this 3D printer and now I'm just going to print out all my own pieces. Like that one person is not going to hit the bottom line. And I think there's a lot of people that tell themselves that like oh well yeah. it's just me. It's when you have people who make this their line of business that it gets to yeah. be a problem and that will drive eventually either like if not if people stop buying a model because everybody copies it guess what they're going to stop making the model and eventually they'll stop supporting yeah. the rules for that model um so which we have seen happen maybe not because of that but we have we have seen that kind of thing absolutely so yeah, I mean it's it it is it is a messy area, and I know there there are probably people listening to the show who are thinking, but dude, I just want to play the game. I, like I, you know, why why does it yeah. matter where I get the pieces? And it's like, well, in the end, it does matter because you know it, it's not so much like look, okay, I understand looking at Games Workshop and thinking, well, this is a this is a monolithic business and seeing it as one entity, but like when you realize that the company is made up of people who that's their job. Yeah. And how would you feel if somebody one day, like you went to work one day and said, sorry, we have to let you go because people figured out it was just, they were just copy our product rather than buy it. So we can't afford to pay you anymore. It's like, that's where things get. And especially with a physical product where it's not just data. It is actually a thing that people are producing and buying. So it's, it, it it is I, I don't I don't even want to say it's necessarily a morally gray area because once you cross into piracy it's no longer morally gray. Well, but as far as like those, making alternate stuff, it, go nuts. Yeah. It it's one of those where like I I would agree with you. Like doing it one off, yeah, it might kind of hurt the company or whatever a little bit, but you're not gonna impact too much. If you're thinking of like, oh, I'm gonna get a you know bunch of a bank of three D printers and start 3D printing replacement models and do it, you know, as a business. No, you will eventually get caught. Like you will eventually get in trouble with that. And you probably should. Um, and I think that's where, you know, that's what GW would, would go after businesses like that and should, because that's their, I know that like way back in the day when the chapter house thing happened, I kind of had a little bit of different opinion on it than a lot of other people did. Everyone was like, Oh, look at GW bullying this company. And it's like, yeah, but GW has a right to defend their intellectual property and they were defending it against a company that was copying their copyrights. They have to defend that. Like if you start a 3D piracy, you know, 3D printing piracy company just selling GW stuff, they will eventually find you and catch you and they should. And cuz they're a business, they have the right to defend their IP and their trademarks. So yeah, it's I think it's kind of a gray area a little bit because there are things that like I'm looking at it right now, like I, there's a uh, Warlord Titan files that I've downloaded and I'm looking at and I'm like, it's actually probably would be cheaper for me to just buy the GW Warlord Titan because the amount of time and 
materials and maintenance and everything that goes into printing this, it's probably just cheaper to buy the model, like legitimately. But I kind of want to do this because it's a fun challenge. So, like, I don't want to discourage people that because 3D printing and owning that stuff can be, you know, and design and all that stuff can be its own hobby and its own rewarding thing. Uh, and I don't completely want to discourage that. But, yeah, you shouldn't just be um, using it to, like, make money off other people's marks and other people's intellectual property. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah. David, thanks for writing in. That gave us That gives us a lot to kind of <laughs> chew on. And, yeah, there may... Like, depending on where you come from, you may not have the same opinion uh, on it that we do. And that's fine, because that's why we have these discussions. And if you want to tell us about your opinion, or if you have uh, a list you'd like us to review, uh, feedback on an episode, or a question for us, uh, there's three good ways to get a letter to us to read on the air. The first is our email addresses. And you can email us at ourfirstnames at preferredenemies.com. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferredenemies.com. Second, uh, you can follow us on Facebook. We are at facebook.com slash preferred enemies. You can like us there, follow us, send us messages, comment on posts, etc. We talk about what we're working on, what episodes we have coming out, news, new releases, things like that. And third is on Twitter. We are at twitter.com slash preferred enemy, singular, because of the limitation of Twitter names. And uh, we take questions, comments, etc. from all those three sources, throw them together, put them in the hopper, and get through as many as we can in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, as of right now, the hopper is empty. So if you want to get your letter read on the air, now is the perfect time to send it in. Also, our next episode is going to be our 10th anniversary episode. So if you want something read on the air for our 10th anniversary, or even better, if you would like to have your voice on the air... Now's the time because we are going to be collecting audio clips from people for our 10th anniversary episode. So now is the time to send it in. And you can, like I said, email us, uh, send it via Facebook. I even had somebody uh, send me a text, like text me and send me a voicemail. And I was able to export that and and we'll be able to work with it. So uh, get those in now because uh, that would be the perfect time. You know, next episode is the perfect time to get something on the air as part of the community that has made this show possible. Uh, speaking of community making this show possible, we also have a Patreon. Uh, our Patreon is at uh, patreon.com slash preferred enemies. Now, if you have the money to support us, we would pr prefer at first for you to look at your community and find out some charity like food bank, uh, rents, uh, rent help fund, things like that, that you can contribute to help improve your local community. But after that, if you still want to help support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash preferred enemies. It is an online tip jar. We don't put any of our episodes behind a uh, paywall or anything like that. So it's just if you want to help support what we're doing, it helps do things like pay for hosting. It helps uh, pay for uh, microphones and uh, new equipment. In fact, I had to replace my Yeti because it was starting to fritz out last episode, which is why it was doing all the snapping and popping. So I've replaced that. So that this is what that helps provide. And hopefully soon, once we're all vaccinated and events can really start happening again, it will help pay for travel costs for us to go to various events and uh, be able to start reporting back to, to you from those events as we used to do. And while it may not seem like uh, like maybe I only have a dollar to help out, well, if you have a dollar and you want to help support the show, if enough people do that, it adds up and it really does help out. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, 
we'll be talking about our main topic, which is the last part of our Start Collecting series, looking at Xenos armies and how to start with Start Collecting Boxes. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Care Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time for our main topic, which is our Start Collecting series, how to start your 40k army with a Start Collecting box, and we're finishing up with looking at various Xenos armies. Now, we were going to have Drukari on here, but then they got a Combat Patrol box, which we talked about last episode, so uh, we're going to skip them, and uh, we're going to go look at, I think we'll start with Orcs, because the Orcs box has one critical flaw. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't have Gasgill in it. Well, okay, two two critical <laughs> flaws. <laughs> well, yeah. So I guess to yeah to start with the critical flaw, what would you expect out of a start collecting box? You know, just as you know, as in general, you would expect to get like a couple troops, units, an HQ, and something else, right? Yeah, um, apparently they decided that orcs don't need HQs because they didn't include one in this box. They they put a character in, isn't that good enough? <laughs> Not exactly, because you can't run this you can't run this by itself. Like the whole idea of the start collectings and especially the combat patrols is you buy this and you can play it. You don't need to buy anything else. You can and like I don't know, like not having an H. This is the only box for any faction that doesn't have a single HQ. Like it's mind blowing to me that they didn't give you like a war boss or something. Just it's something. Like ah, it's so weird. 
I'm wondering if this, because this was that weird, I think this came out that weird period where they had released plastic war bosses, but they were always in larger box sets. Mm-hmm. And they didn't sell them by themselves at the time. And the pain boy was the only plastic character they had because everything else was either fine cast or not sold standalone. And so like, well, this is the best we can do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just bad. I mean, like it's like they, they have other plastic HQ characters like so, it's, uh, it's just one they those... have one. <laughs> they well, have uh, well two if you include Gaskell, which also wasn't available uh, yet when this yeah. came out. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, I don't know. Like it just, but like they have the 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 Big Mac is is plastic, isn't it? Well, I guess yeah. The Big I Mac, guess, yeah. with shock attack gun, yeah. is yes. Plastic the the Big now. Mac with shock attack gun is plastic. The other Big Mac. Is just a mega knob from a mega knob right. kit, and they didn't have the buggies out, so they didn't have like the the guy yeah. in the war trike. Yeah, the weird boy uh, is still fine cast. Yeah, I was kind of looking to see like what else they could use. Uh, they need more HQ options. <laughs> like this would have been a great opportunity to release a plastic war boss. <laughs> right they they used to have lots of HQ choices, but as they started phasing models out. Then they, like, went away. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, this definitely indicates one of the big flaws with orcs is that they do not have enough character models in plastic. Um, and I hope that that's something that they... I mean, they've hinted at fixing that, I guess, because they've kind of hinted at with some of the previews that there might be a new plastic boys kit coming out. And if they're going to redo... You know, uh, an orc boys kit in plastic. I gotta imagine that's going to be part of a larger reevaluation of that line because I don't think you would go in and do a core H, you know, a core uh, unit like that for an army like orcs and not look at redesigning all the other models too. Yeah, I mean, you could theoretically turn one of the like kit bash one of the knobs into something approximating a war boss. Yeah. But then you end up with four knobs, which I don't believe is a legal unit. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it is. Also, it's just weird as they give you like 11 boys in the squad. Like there's a number of choices that were made in this box that I'm like, I don't quite get. <laughs> yeah, five, five knobs is, is it used to be it used to be back in the day, three knobs. But it is now five knobs is the minimum size for the, that unit size. Uh, it is, it is so, so badly thought out as a, as a product. So it's yeah. just, uh, it's frustrating. And again, I think it is because they didn't have that, the Orc Warboss, who is now available as a box with five knobs. Like mm-hmm. Orc Warboss Grux Moth, Bob, or Boss Mob is available and it's another five knobs and the Warboss. And so I would say that your start collecting box should be the start collecting box plus this additional $50 purchase because that's yeah. the only way to make this a legal army <laughs> other than or you buy the shock attack gun. But the shock attack gun is not really going to have synergy with much else in that box. Right. Or Gaskell. Or, or yeah, Gaskell. Yeah, you can, yeah. yeah, you can buy Gaskell. Gaskell I, I, I recommend is, buying Gaskell. Well, I mean, that's just a good idea anyway. Yeah. 
So start collecting. Don't get the box just by Gaskell. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, mean he, he, he may not be the place to start, really. But yeah, I mean, come although on. not a bad. He, place he's to also sixty five dollars, which is only fifteen dollars more than that uh, boss of not you know the the, the boss mob. So uh, right, which it's that, not a bad that war bad boss purchase. model used to be a character, a named character. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's just a guy. Now he's, he's just the war boss. So, yeah. Well, and I think with this one, you also run into other problems. Like, if you're really trying to start collecting orcs, you're going to need a lot more than 11 boys. So, like, you're you're going to need to beef this up quite a bit. Um, you know, it's, this, it's, it's that same problem we were talking about with guard. You just need a lot of bodies. You know, what's... On average, Richard, wh- how many boys do you run in a normal orc list? I mean, I'm I wouldn't run less than forty. I think, right? I mean, that's just. I mean, granted, I have not really played orcs in in ninth edition yet, really. So mm-hmm. the 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 different point scale and the the different scale, like you could probably get away with like. Two fifteens go with thirty boys, right. but yeah, you, but you typically run forty or more. And like I've ran up against orc lists where you know there's been a hundred and twenty boys in a list. So like yep. you know <laughs> yeah, that that's not an uncommon thing to to be like nope i I need you know I need to start collecting box and then I need uh, ten more boxes of boys to get what I want, and that's. It's a lot. <laughs> uh, and and that's with kind of one of those horde army, you know, problems. Yeah. yeah. And, and with the the makeup of this particular box, I can't even recommend doubling or tripling up on it necessarily because no. you don't need that many pain boys. You probably don't yeah. need that many knobs. Having three death dreads is not bad. And yeah. the death dread is a, is a great include for this. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the death dread is a a fun add-in. Yeah. Well, so uh, here's here's what I would recommend cuz the death dread by itself which is temporarily out of stock but, you know, it'll, it'll eventually be back. The death dread's $55 by itself. So if you were wanting to run a death dread heavy list and run, you know, three death dreads, it's not I mean, it's the fit difference is $90 to $55, but you're going to be buying more boys regardless. I could see if you're like, you know that you want to run two or three death dreads, picking this multiples of this box up because it's only a little bit more and you're basically getting the boys and knobs for, you know, you're basically going to wind up with extra pain boys and extra knobs uh, over buying them separately. So I could see if you want to go specifically and build around death dreads, then this is a good deal. Otherwise, yeah, it's just better to buy. It's just better to buy, you know, boys separately and then fill in the, you know, mega knobs or big Macs or flash kits or whatever other, you know, the the different vehicles, whatever else you want to fill the army out with. Yeah, um, I, I will say like the the knob kit is it is one of those really good kits for just having lots of cool like different orky bits mm-hmm. that. 
like once you get into like kit bashing and and like converting minis which orc players are wont to do that the the knob kits are actually a, a pretty good starting place to have ex- a lots of extra little bits for that are orc players known for kit bashing i i hadn't heard of that no that that's an excellent point though that there would be a lot of extra bits and stuff in here from from the knobs and from the boys and stuff because i assume it's you know full sprues of everything so i i I haven't picked the starter box up but you know i imagine it would be you would have either choppas or shootas um for all your boys and then you know all of your knob bits and stuff so uh, you know i i can definitely see if you're starting out Maybe picking multiples of this up if you like the Death Dread and you want to run multiples of Death Dread. If you don't, like if you have no interest in running like a mechanized or a semi-mechanized orc list, I don't think this box would be worth it. (laughs) I will say that as far as like doubling up or tripling up on this, a box of orc boys, which is 11, that is the standard because it's 10 plus a boss knob. So that is that is oh, standard. Okay. It feels weird, but that that is actually the standard size for one of these boxes. A box of Orc Boys is thirty six. A Death Dread, which is temporarily sold out but would become available again, is fifty five. So you could still buy like you buy one of these, and then you buy two more boxes of Orc Boys, buy two more Death Dreads, just buy themselves, buy the Orc Boss Mob. All that together gets you to about just shy of a thousand, but it's three units of 10 orc boys, which is probably not enough, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> but it would be two units of knobs, three units of boys. And honestly, the cheaper way to do that, cause I, to fit into a thousand, I had to take the, uh, pain boy out at which point it's actually slightly cheaper just to buy the boxes of orcs and, I think the one thing you end up with is the extra box, the extra set of knobs from yeah. the start collecting box. So there, okay. So yeah, go ahead, buy one start collecting box, get the pain boy with it, and then yeah. Other than that, do not double up on this box. Just buy the kits you you want. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, because the yeah the box the the boy box the boys kit those sprues come with eleven sets of legs. And that's, that's your limiting factor because mm-hmm. there is, there's 10 boy torsos plus two boy torsos with the special weapons plus, uh, the knob torso. So like with extra legs, I mean, you're, you're actually potentially looking at like more like 13 models. So what you're saying is, uh, buy this and then 3D print the orc legs and you have more models. <laughs> which i'm actually i actually just did a quick google search and yeah there's that's actually a pretty common thought because there's a lot of orc uh orc boy leg uh stl files out there <laughs> yeah or you buy six boxes of boys one box of knobs and gasgol and that's a thousand thirty nine points so just adjust your upgrades accordingly <laughs> <laughs> that is, that gives that's, you sixty boys and Gasgol, and I think that's good. I mean, that, that's, yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's infinitely better than what you could cobble out of the start collecting box. Um, yeah, uh, and and I think one of the things with orcs and and Richard, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but 
like one of the things that appears with orcs with just looking at the kits they have, like there is a lot of flexibility in where you can go with like adding in things around your boys. Like there's a lot of like the jets, the battle wagons, the, the, you know, the, the little buggy vehicles, the killicans, like there's a lot of ways that you can go with this. And like this arm, you know, this start collecting box in and of itself, like it's a good deal because of the death dread. But if you decide that you don't want to go in on death dreads, I don't think this box helps because you're going to have to go in specialty ways to get everything else anyway. Right. That is true. Like, I mean, for for orcs, you're you you only have two troop choices, and that's that's boys and and Gretchen and yeah. Gretchen are kind of a even more like monetarily expensive choice to to make because yeah, like they come in little boxes of ten, and you need a billion of them to like fill out points or. Theoretically, you could do 30 and then spend all of your, you know, points on elite, more elite stuff. Right. But you're better off starting with with boys. Yeah, I think boys are just the more robust choice. Like, Gretchen are fine for holding, like, backfield objectives. And that's about it. (laughs) Yep. I I think it's interesting because we had this conversation with about with the uh, the guard start collecting box as well. I think this one also is another one that shows the limitations of the start collecting box that that $90 price point just does hamper what you can include. And I, I I'm, ex- I'm hopeful that when they release their combat patrol, that it'll be a better deal, even though it'll be more expensive that maybe you'll get two units of boys and, you know, knobs and some other things and just some more generally useful things uh, for an orc player. Um, but I, I think at $90 with the start collecting sets, it's just really hard to get enough models in there for it to be a value for these horde armies. Yeah. And, and that's where like, yeah, the combat patrols where we actually see like combat patrols with a whole bunch of individual models. I think that's one where games workshops willing to take the hit financially to give somebody a playable army. And so I'm excited to see what they release as the orc combat patrol. Cause I don't think it'll look anything like this box at all. It better not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, this is, I think this one is actually, this one is worse than the guard one. Cause the guard one was slightly illegal, but you could still make it very playable. Yeah. Just by like skipping a couple of models here or there. This just doesn't work. This doesn't work. It's not good to double up on. There's way better options for starting orcs. Don't start playing with this box unless <laughs> you have no other option. Right. So we're going to switch now from orcs way over to the other side of not horde. Where we're going to look at craft worlds. So Eldar craft worlds. And this one is interesting because... It goes real wraith heavy, yeah. extremely wraith heavy. <laughs> that that yeah. doesn't surprise me because I mean, at the time when this box came out, plastic wraiths were brand new, mm-hmm. and the only other troops they've well, they aren't. Tr- I mean, you can make them troops at the time, but they're not troops now. But the only troops you really have are the dire avengers, rangers who aren't plastic, and then the um, guardians who are old plastic. Not that great. No, they're not. very well. All, all the stuff's old plastic, right? Right. <laughs> but uh, but this box is is interesting because it contains 
a whole, I think, seven models? Or eight models. Uh, eight models, sorry. Eight models total. Yeah. Eight models, yes. <laughs> so you get a plastic farseer with a wraith spear. You get uh, a unit of five wraith guard, which can also be equipped as, I think, built as wraith blades if you desire. Mm-hmm. You get a yeah, wraith the one lord. kit can do all the things. Yep. You get a wraith lord, and then you get a warwalker. And this one is actually interesting because. A, it, it, it's not a legal patrol. Well, let's, yeah, it's not a legal patrol, but it is a legal, right. no, it's not even a legal, uh, vanguard. It's. No. No, yeah. it's not a legal detachment in any way, shape, you, or form. Because <laughs> you, you have a HQ, an elite, a heavy, and a fast. Or is it, I think the one. No, two heavies. Is, yeah, two heavies. Heavy. Okay, well, yeah. can't, can't yeah. you make a, I forgot what it's called. You need three for a spearhead. Oh, you need a three for the spirit? Okay, never mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's another yeah. one where this is this is not legal in any way. <laughs> well, and it was it was at the time, right. but that's when rates could be troops, right? Well, and i i give them I give them credit with this one for at least kind of going all in on a theme, and like much like the orc one, they are limited by what models were available and what models are in plastic, but at least they gave you a coherent force out of this. Like, yeah, it may not necessarily out of the box be, be legal, but this, if you're wanting to build a, a Wraith army, this is absolutely uh, like a good start and a good way to go. So I, I at least give them points for kind of thinking this one through a little bit more and, and being more cohesive with it. I, I mean, I'll agree and disagree. I, I can see that. But you don't need a Warwalker. And right. truthfully, you w- you'd want a Spirit Seer over the Far... Because I think, Rob, you said a Farseer in there? Yes. Okay, because you'd want a Spirit Seer... Yeah, we- we'd want the Spirit Seer instead of the Farseer. Mm-hmm. And so you'd really only use the Wraith Guard and the Wraith Lord. Oh, wait, you didn't even say Wraith Lord, did you? No, I did. There's a Wraith Lord. Yeah, there's a Wraith Lord in it. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So the Wraith Guard, Wraith Lord, Warwalker, and the HQ. Yeah. You'd only use the Wraith Lord and the Wraith Guard if you were making a Wraith army. Mm, fair. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it ends up being this this army that doesn't... It It's more thematic, but it still doesn't quite click all the boxes. And I also think it's amusing that they painted up in same hand colors, which this doesn't fit same hand at all. I would have <laughs> I would have expected this to I be mean- as an Eandon army. I will agree, but they've always painted their stuff those colors, so... Shrug? I mean, when you see most Eldar painted, they're painted in Samhain colors. Yeah. yeah. And, and the other thing I'll ask, how old is this box? Uh, uh, not old. This is actually the second Craft Worlds box, because I think the first one had Guardians in it. Yes. Yeah. They, re- right, they redid it once they got f- the plastic uh, Farseer. They redid this one. Okay, but this still has to be like three, four years old. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think all the Star Collectors are are that old. Yeah, like so. Yeah, it's old. (laughs) So I was looking around on the website. There is a similar kind of kind of like with the Cadian Defense Force. There is another like Craft Worlds Army, which is this Start Collecting box. So your uh, Farseer, Wraiths, uh, Wraith Lord, Warwalker. And then it is a unit of Dire Avengers and a, what's the other one here? Wave Serpent for $188. So basically double the cost for a, uh, for this box plus a 
unit of guardians, which are $40, and a uh, wave serpent, which is $58. 40, isn't it? 50, 50, 58. Wow, up. 58. Yeah. So you end it up saving up. a little bit, but not. Not an appreciable amount, to be honest with you. <laughs> it does make it a legal patrol, though. Yeah, and it makes it more well-rounded. For sure. So. Yeah, because you're adding in another, you know, a, a general, a more flexible troop choice and, you know, and a transport. Yeah, no, that, that definitely does, does give you more options. Would I buy either one of these? No. Well, so I think. I think that's ultimately my issue with this is if you buy either this start collecting box or the craft world's army, you're locked into wraiths. Like you're locked into a very specific Eldari build, uh, because that's what the core of this army is. If you're just wanting to do a general build, like I don't know that this is where I would go because like you're going to want guardians. You're going to want, you know, you're going to want bikes. You're going to want other things like, this isn't bad, but it is very specific. The thing about Wraith, since it's only one squad, one squad of Wraith, you can splash into things, and they are hardy and solid. I, I'd put them, if they had a two-up or two-up armor, they'd, I'd mark them like custodes. Mm-hmm. But the, the fact that their toughness is so high, you, you can have them just march to something or hold something, and they'll stick around a while just for that reason alone. So... It, just having a splash of one squad of Wraith is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So I'd say if you're going to center on Wraith, you'd probably have two or three squads of Wraith if you're actually going to focus on them. Okay, well, no, that's good. That's a good perspective to know that, like, it is worthwhile to splash them in. But I think, though, that They're unless, <laughs> yeah, like, unless you're going full Wraith, like, you know, and, and building to that, I don't know that you would want to pick up more than one of either of these. You know, because it, it would right. just be a splash. And then, like, and then yes. as, as, as Rob said earlier, like, I don't even know if you're going to, if you're wanting to build a Wraith army, if you'd pick multiples of these up, because it's probably just more efficient to pick up the extra Wraith boxes, because there's other stuff in here that doesn't really fit. Right. I, and I honestly don't see either of the old Eldar box or this Eldar box or the, the battle box you talked about coming. I don't think those will be in the next. Combat Patrol for Eldar? No, I don't think so either. I, I would hope... A, I would hope that they're going to get some new plastic troops when they get their next update, but I would think that, yeah, you're going to see Guardians for sure. See, I, my, my hope is different than that. I don't think we'll see new plastic models for troops, but I am hoping that their um, patrol will focus on Aspect Warriors and maybe give you some of them, and they could use the old Dire Avenger mm-hmm. sculpts because they're they're not bad. They are old, but they're they're still at least plastic. But that could be their time to also re-release, or not re-release, reintroduce the Aspect Warriors in plastic instead of fine cast. Yes, I mean we got the really nice looking Banshee line, so obviously they oh, can they do are. it. Yeah, yeah and, and just maybe when they're going to release the Codex, cross fingers, late this year, early next year. Um, Maybe we'll have new plastic aspect warriors to go with it. Cross fingers. Yeah, I hope so because they they desperately need those models to be updated. Yeah, they and do. And that would be also be a very good balanced combat patrol. You just put whatever HQ you want. You can have mm-hmm. one squad of Dire Avengers, one squad of like Fire Dragons, one squad of Banshees, or maybe Striking Scorpions because Banshees are already out on their own thing. Mm-hmm. And so you you can kind of get that 
I mean, it's all going to be foot slogging unless they. Well, I guess you could put a squad of shining spears in there. <laughs> They're technically an aspect warrior, but that's what I would rather see is just something that you you can build many directions on. But yeah, you'll probably counter with aspect warriors are one well, vision. I, no, but I think you can certainly. I think you could certainly make a start collecting box or a combat patrol box that includes, you know, a farseer, some bikes, guardians, and wave serpent, and you know, and and maybe something else in there. And like that's a good solid foundation for any type of how you want to build that army going forward. So I think I, there that, is that is true. Yeah. So I, I think that, it just that, depends that's on a nice what solid they, base. Yeah, I think it just depends on what they want the start collecting boxes to be. Um, and I think with the looking at the Space Marine start collecting boxes, they want them to be something that you would buy multiple of to kind of get the core of your army and then you build on top of that. So I, I would expect, and, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe, maybe they do go the Aspect Warrior route, which would be great, but I would expect that they'll probably stick with like Guardians or Dire Avengers or like, you know, troops. And then a couple other things to kind of like fill it out, and make it a little more robust. You get more more than eight models in a box, um, but that you can then branch off and go into other routes. And I, I got to think with the bike sculpts that they have, and the fact that bikes are so good for Eldar, like you got to put a unit of bikes in the next box. Like you just have to. Well, and to be fair, if they're focusing on new sculpts, um, Shining Spears could use new. Mm hmm. So. Yeah. Well, and they've yeah. got, you know, obviously you have the base bikes, so it shouldn't yeah, be a the, difficult the upgrade. Bike. Right. So, so as a thought experiment, I went ahead and took the contents of that uh, Craft World Army box, which is, as we determined, is the start collecting box plus, you know, because it's just mm-hmm. two units added in. And I wanted to ki- keep two plastic models, which fortunately the Spirit Seer is a plastic model now. Ooh. So, um, I went ahead and added the Spirit Seer and one more unit of Guardian Defenders, uh, which keeps this at, it's technically still a patrol level, because I think we need to have three troops now to make it a mm-hmm. a battalion. But at a patrol, again, with 9th edition, running as a patrol is not a bad, not a problem. So with a Farseer, Spirit Seer, Two units of defenders with uh, bright lances on their heavy weapons platforms. And then D Scythe Wraithguard, the one Warwalker, the Wraith Lord, equipped as pictured with the Shuriken Cannon. And then um, a Wave Serpent with uh, top mounted twin star cannons. And uh, basically, the idea is like put the Wraith Guard in the Wave Serpent, roll them up, and then because the D Scythes only have an eight inch range. That comes in at 999 points. Nice. Sold. So, I mean, is it an ideal Eldar list? No, not by any means. But it's a viable one. It's playable. So, yeah, the Craft World's Army... So, the Craft World's Army box is a playable patrol because it has the one troop's choice. But I think you could, with just a couple of extra kits, which I think would be not terrible... Because the Spirit Seer is 30... And Guardians, which are still in stock, fortunately. The Spirit Seer is not, but I'm sure you could track one down. So you'd be looking at 188 bucks plus another 70 So for 250 you could get a 1,000-point Eldar Army. Would it, I don't think it would represent the best of the Eldar Army, but it would give you a little bit of a taste of a lot of it. Yeah. 
No, that's that's a good yeah, that's a good way to kind of expand it into into something. We had mentioned earlier that there was the old start collecting box for Eldar, and I couldn't remember what exactly was in it, and I remembered why because I found it on on the internet. The start collecting craft world has a whopping eight models in it, which is three more than the old start collecting box had. Oof the the Eldar start collecting box that they originally released was a spirit seer on bike, three bikes. And a fire prism. I remember the fire prism. I forgot yeah. the other parts. That is awful. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be that is- fair, if we're looking at trends, <laughs> the oh. fire prism and and those uh, the bikes were newish, and then sure. here, the race second one, the race Oof. are newish. So it's like, but but that's a that's a that's a rough place to start. Like if I was an Eldar player and I'm like, ooh, start collecting box Eldar, pick this up, and then learned that like. I need to spend money on a, on the army in addition. I would be mad. <laughs> also, not I'm gonna a legal list. Be, <laughs> right. I, I, see, I agree with both of you guys there, but I'll be on. I, I kind of like that idea of that box I, starting out and doubling up on it. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a terrible deal. It's just a bad start collecting box. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, two to three fire prisms with that. I, I love that strategy for for Eldar, and then having mm-hmm. the new bikes. I yeah, think that like, that is definitely my style. It is a good. It's a good deal for that box, but as a start collecting box, that is garbage. <laughs> and I also uh. say, to be fair, probably when that box was out, those bikes were troops. Uh that probably you know, that's fair. That might have been true. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So anyway, the point yeah, I'm making cl- is these boxes do not age well. A start collecting no, they box don't. Of five models is not a good way to go. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> just, okay, so just at, just for for shits and grins. Okay, so we need a Farseer Skyrunner. We need a unit of Windrider bikes and a single Fire Prism. That's 365 points. It is not a legal Outrider detachment, but if you tripled up on it. <laughs> because you know, three Farseers is not bad. I don't think you can <laughs> yeah, put no, three into a uh, Outrider, though. I think it would max it two. So we'll make that, it. We'll make it legal. Yes, yeah, so we'll make it legal. And then I think we could only have two Fire Prisms in an Outrider. Yeah, that's seven hundred ninety points, and it would be very thematic. So, so a start collecting box has been out of print for like five years. So, true, like- true. I mean, it just again, this <laughs> yeah, is kind of yeah. a like, could you have made this work? And kinda maybe. <laughs> Yeah, you'd be maybe. down on CP because it is an outrider, but it's so yeah. You'd buy two of those and then a box of Windriders. Yep. Yeah, but still not really. No, not yeah, really. that's yeah. Again, you're you're forced into very specific builds. So let's switch to something that has a build that's really not great for anybody, and we're going to go Tau now. Oh, speaking of more garbage. Um, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? All, all Vespid. <laughs> No, no, because they don't it's have actually- plastic Vespid. <laughs> it, it, so okay, it's not bad. It's not terrible. Yeah, it's, just, in, in, it's got the problem of being of this- Tau right now. Right. the The problem is that Tau are not very good right now. The problem is not that this box is bad. This box is actually really, really good. So it gives you um, an ethereal on the hover drone, a unit of uh, fire warriors. A unit of crisis suits and then all of the associated drones, including the the like special drones for the fire uh, for the fire warrior squad. Like 
aside, you know, remove it from the fact that Tau are garbage right now. This is exactly what you want as the core of any Tau army starting out. Like, those are all useful things. The Ethereal is useful. The Fire Warriors are useful. Get You get a boatload of drones. You get three crisis suits. Like, this is a really good place to start from a model perspective. Right. Uh, it just, it has the problem of tower not made for this edition and it shows. Yeah. I mean, but you know, these are all new models. These are the new fire warrior, um, strike squad models. Um, the new, you know, multi-part plastic crisis suits, the new ethereal, like the guns out ethereal riding the hover drone. Um, like, they're all brand new models. They're all really good sculpts. Like, if you want to start playing Tower right now, this is a very good place to start. Um, you know, and especially when you look at the individual costs of those models, you know, I want to say the Crisis suits themselves are like $50 for three. So it's actually, this is a really good way to get no, 75 to get for three. 75 for three. Holy smokes. Yeah. Yeah. So you're getting effectively. For twenty dollars more than the Christ than the Crisis Suit box itself, you're getting an extra Fire Warrior squad and an and an Ethereal. That's yeah. This is one that I, I if you really wanted to start playing Tau right now, Godspeed and good luck to you. But um, this is absolutely a box that you buy multiple of because the, all of the sculpts are good, all of the you know all of the bits are great, the models are great. You, you're gonna want the drones. You're gonna want the Ethereals. You're gonna I mean. It, there's other things that you'll need to add in depending on how you want to build your army going forward. But this is an excellent, excellent uh, starting place. Yeah. And actually, like if yeah, if you doubled up on this, um, like you'd end up with two ethereals, which I don't know how great that is. Sure. But yeah, you double up on it. You're good because actually you do want to double up on it because one of the things you want with the breacher team, if you can fit it in, is the guardian drone, which gives them the five up and vulnerable, which yes. goes a long way towards their survivability. Uh, but you only get two drones in the fire warrior box and the like the way they have it pictured and the way you built it out was a, a unit of five breachers and a unit of five strike team. The strike team gets the uh, support turret. The breachers don't. And so mm. if you have two of those, then you have enough drones to give both groups two, or you could give them all to the breacher team, whatever you want to do. Yeah. But if you double those up, and let's say, let's give each squad a sergeant, because a little bit of extra leadership is not bad. Um, let's see. And we double up on the crisis suits. And uh, like this, the... the as pictured, it already came in at four hundred, like four hundred and six points, which makes it one of the better uh, start collecting boxes points wise. Right. Yeah. Um, but if we like, we double up on this, and and again, equipped as pictured, and with a little bit of flexibility on like the drone and such, it comes in at about eight hundred points. And then where I would look at expanding would be the one other thing I would pick up is the commander, like the new commander suit. And get yourself a Cold Star Commander. Yes. Which would fit very well in this. Right. You take out the high output burst cannons. You put on, like, double or you put on, like, triple fusion blaster and a shield generator on him. That's 100. That gets him up to 175 points. He still has drones, which you could just throw a couple of shield drones out there to follow somebody around. And actually, let's. Not do shield drones, they're a little bit more expensive. Let's do 
gun drones. 992 points. Nice. And uh, the only thing I would consider adding to this, and actually, let's see, let's drop the two drones. Let's drop one of the ethereals, because we don't need two. We just need yes, one babysitting yeah. the, the strike team. And let's go ahead. It's an extra purchase. But we're going to go ahead and pick up a devil fish because you want to put those breachers in a devil fish because sure. you want that you want it to roll up and then pop them out that comes in at a thousand and two points so play around <laughs> with your war gear a little bit well the the good thing is that tower notoriously uh like you can't mess around with their war gear at all like they, they're they're notorious for having very strict <laughs> war oh. gear options <laughs> uh, right, 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 right. I mean, it's not like you can't customize every piece of war gear on those crisis suits. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is actually the paralyzing thought for me when I play Tau is like, what do I put on these guys? I do. I have all the options. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why magnets, tiny, tiny magnets are your friends. Yes, for tiny magnets are great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, this Tau list is like, you can get this in at around a thousand points. It's going to be a patrol. But that again, that's fine. Patrols are not a problem. And you can kit out your crisis suits to be really whatever you want them to be. Mm-hmm. You have you have a transport for moving. The, and that's the thing. Like the breachers allow you to have something that moves up quickly and can actually put out some close com like not close combat, but some close range shooting damage. And with the Guardian drone, they've got a little bit more survivability. Breachers are actually one of the better units right now for Tau. Because mm-hmm. it's one of the few ways we have to really like clear out objectives um the crisis suits are mobile i really wish they had jump shoot jump they don't but you know what can you do but with the cold star commander you've got somebody who can just reach out and touch someone the ethereal will keep that strike team so you put the strike team on like a back objective and basically make them more usable with the addition of the ethereal i mean you can make this work it's it suffers mm. from the problems that the army has, but that's the that's an army problem. If you're getting into Tau, know what you're getting into. But this is actually a viable start collecting box, and I think you can end up with and at a thousand points, this isn't bad. And then you've got a thousand points to play with, and that's when you can start looking at some of the bigger toys like hammerheads, riptides, ghost keels, uh, the manta. Uh, not that big. Not that big. <laughs> <laughs> broadside. Broadside would be very a very good add on. Um, and actually, like, yeah, you could side, like, you, the, the crisis suits are kitted out, like, the way they're kitted out, they're about 220 points. Um, you could decide to make, uh, just do one unit and then use that 200 points to, like, get a couple of broadsides or, like, cause, like, mm-hmm. one broadside with the rail rifle is 80 points. One with the smart missile pod or the high yield missile pods is 110. And you can get it down to 100 if you give it plasma rifles because you make bad decisions. But uh, <laughs> but uh, you could get two of the high-yield broadsides for 220 points, which is the cost of one of those crisis suit units. And that's with yeah. the drones. You could even, like I said, you can, you can play with the points here and figure out what you want to do. But there's a lot of range to, to make this into a more flexible force that's going to have both standing firepower and some stuff that can move up, which is what you're going to need in this edition. And having two units of crisis suits, honestly, is, I mean, 
They're relatively hardy because they can have stealth, you know, they can have shield drones with them, helping keep them alive, and other drones to just take hits for them. Uh, mm-hmm. They have enough wounds for a unit that they'll be okay. They can put out a decent amount of firepower if you took them out right. I, I don't... Yeah. I don't dislike this start collecting box. At first I was I was kind of wary, but I think the more I look at it, I'm like, no, this actually can kind of work as best it can given given the army that it's working for. Yeah. Like uh, and that's the thing. All of this potentially gets thrown out the window the moment a new t- codex comes out and they change the way they play, but I, you know, looking back at the history of Tau all the way back to 4th edition, Crisis Suits and Fire Warriors are good and they're useful, there's always a place for them. So I can't imagine that even if they do a complete army revamp in the next codex, crisis suits and fire warriors aren't going to be good. So this is, this remains a very useful set because it's a very, very cost effective way to get these models. Especially if you're looking at buying multiple units of crisis suits, you should just buy this because it's $20 more and gives you all of these extra things. Yeah. And honestly, as far as like running crisis suit heavy is also good if you're playing Farsight Enclaves. Yes. So, I mean, this is, this is going to work well for your Farsight Enclaves, aren't you? And maybe you decide yeah. I'm not going to take the Cold Star Commander. Maybe if I'm going to delve into Finecast and get a, get a Farsight. Get Farsight. He's 130 yeah. points. So he's a little bit cheaper, which gives you a little bit more room to play with. Um, and you, if you, you know, do Farsight, you're not going to run the Ethereal, so you're going to save yet yeah. more points, which gives you more points yeah. to play with. Switch up and run both of those as, like, Breacher teams. Put them both in Devilfish, and that, you know, and then you you have a very, like, kind of aggressive Farsight, uh, Farsight Enclave's army. So, let's that's, see. that's definitely that. another route that you could go. Let's see. Yeah, if... Yeah, if you replace the the commander suit with commander farsight, which you don't have to. I mean, you could run you could run the cold star suit instead of farsight. You don't have to run a farsight mm-hmm. enclaves with farsight. But he's really awesome. Actually, so you should. He is really awesome. <laughs> uh, if you ran him stock and you did the dual breacher teams in two devil fish, just everything else equipped as it normally would be, uh, but two ten man breacher squads, that's nine hundred ninety two points. So again, you can do a really aggressive Tau list, which is actually like Farsight Enclaves is one of the better ones right now. Breachers are good. The like you've got stuff to move forward. You're not going to be doing a lot of background board control. You're going to be pushing up and pushing aggressive. But it's again, it this works with this start collecting box. You'll just have to set aside the ethereals because you won't be using them. But mm-hmm. it's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. So, yeah, Tau 1 actually holds up relatively well. Uh, but we're going to now switch, switch directions again. And let's look at another infantry-focused one. And this is Gene Stealer Cults. The Gene Stealer Cult one's kind of interesting because um, it does lean into, into your hybrids. And it doesn't have a lot of, like, the quote-unquote... Not, not that they have a lot of bigger stuff, but what surprises me is what you don't get, which is some of the, like, the quintessential HQs for Gene Sealer Cults. You don't get a Magus for this. You don't get a Primus. You definitely don't get a Patriarch. You get an Icon Ward. You get the Banner Guy. And then you get a unit of Acolyte Hybrids. You get a unit of Neophyte Hybrids. 
and you get five acolyte hybrids, ten neophyte hybrids, and you get an Achilles Ridge Runner. You 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 don't get any of the big three because they're on the same sprue. Ah, so they, they have to they sell, sell all they, of them. They to sell you. they sell them together in a kit. Yeah, that's true. That seems like a bad design choice, but <laughs> that was the design choice that they made when they put them in a a, a boxed box. game. Yep. Yep. Although they do have a plastic standalone magus now, so there is that. They, they, there is that, but that's I'm pretty sure that's more recent than this box. Oh, for sure. sure. Yeah, yeah. Because like I don't think the uh, the jackals were available either. Um, I, I think those are post-date this box. Yeah. But fortunately, this is a line where everything is plastic because it's it's a late enough line. So, like, if you're looking to upgrade plastic kits, I mean, this is a – or upgrade with plastic kits, it's pretty good. Uh, the problem with this army right now is that it just doesn't – like, unless you start bringing in guard stuff, it just doesn't have a lot on its own other than – infantry and i don't know if this start collecting box is a really strong start for one thing it doesn't even hit 300 points for the contents yeah yeah definitely it's it it's the same thing again you know with talked about with orcs talked about with guard like infantry heavy lists are just you know held down by the fact that you you have that 90 95 dollar price point you're trying to hit within start collecting boxes once you get into the combat patrol range and you can up it a little bit I think you can start adding things to make it a little more valuable, but yeah, it's just, it's hard right now to, you're going to need so many of like infantry units and things to make this work that I don't know. I mean, like I'm looking at trying to, you know, trying to track down competitive lists for this. <laughs> like, okay. So the ninth edition Gene Steeler cult overview, which granted is a year old, but this is on Goonhammer. The, the, the good, Overwatch becoming a stratagem makes your small melee units better. Uh, Cult Ambush is really good in a lot of missions because you can retroact, like you can reactively deploy. Game being a turn shorter means you're, like, if you can get the jump on your opponent, they have a harder time coming back. Smaller board, again, less, less place for your opponents to hide. Your small melee units can get there faster. Acolytes and everything is still relatively cheap point wise. There's lots of stuff for doing actions, but the bad list building is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. And, and difficult to fit in all the HQs you'd want. And, you know, it's like you have a horde army, but a lot of horde armies also have the mix of having a few big things to mix in with it to like kind of fill the holes the horde can't do. And this doesn't. This really doesn't, unless you bring in, like, you can start bringing in some guard stuff, I suppose. Right. But, I mean, at 287 points, and, I mean, like, I would not run this without having, like, I would pick up a Brood Coven box, first thing. Mm-hmm. Because you kind of need it. Um, which, I mean, if you just run those stock, well, A, you're going to have too many HQs, which you're going to need to get the, which also means you need to get this up to a battalion so you can fit in all three. Um, or at least to, a, you know, I guess, you know, drop one of them, but you like, but like that box right there is, let's see, the brood coven's a $60 box. Um, Richard, do you see doubling up on this box, especially with having then ending up with two icon wards? I mean, hmm, like it, it's kind of like that work box where like, 
if you if you want like those uh those ridge runners and you want to go like uh, like with atlan jackals and like a fast moving list i could see this as as being the way to like move in that direction and then you'll just you'll you'll still kind of end up using your your hybrids and a couple of icon wards as like your HQs and troops and then the rest of the stuff that you're adding into the army is like, you know, wield stuff, right? Right. And I could see that as being a, a reason to like double up on this. But yeah, it uh, otherwise me personally I didn't buy one of these, but had I bought maybe one less of the of the Death Watch box of the boxed games and had one less of of bodies that I already had and, and I just wanted more little bodies and I didn't have a ridge runner I could see getting this to just as a like padding out more models situation yeah because I'm like I'm just kind of running the numbers here on like looking at what's in this box. So like the Ridge Runner itself is fifty dollars. The hybrid, the Neophyte hybrids are forty four dollars, and the Acolyte hybrids are forty dollars by themselves. So if you are in a position where it's like, oh yeah, I want to get more hybrids to fill out bodies, and I'm looking at like a Ridge Runner, then yeah, this is something that I think is a pretty good, you know way to to pick up those extra boxes rather than doing it separately because cool. of and, and the hybrid get a decent discount and the hybrid kit is it, like those sprues are kind of valuable in that they also make an elite choice mhm yeah the hybrid metamorph choice yeah right acolytes or or metamorphs yeah so those can those could be in either of those in the trooper elite slot yeah, no, that's good to know. So, so I went ahead and like, okay, so what if we doubled this up? Um, we kept the neophyte hybrids as they, you know, equipped as they are, which is not necessarily the best way to do it. But I'm not going to get into a lot of finicky point level at this point. Um, we do the one acolyte squad. We do the other squad as hybrid metamorphs. And then we add in those fast attack pieces. Like, so we, we've got two Ridge Runners now. So let's add in a unit of Jackals. Let's add in a Jackal Alphas as our third HQ. Because we're now up to, we've got three troops choices. So we can run as a battalion now. Right. Mm -hmm. With that, and again, I haven't played with the War Gear. Like on the, the Metamorphs, the Jackals, I took options that just don't cost any additional points. Right. The Metamorphs really do have like a lot of options and can vary in. They're, they're kind of like the Orc Knobs where point value, it can vary wildly based on like what you equip them with. Right. Uh, but looking at that, if we just like take stuff relatively stock, we're still only at 715 points. <laughs> at that point, maybe we pick up the Cadian start collecting box and add in some Brood Brothers. You know, it's that kind of... Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Because, like, or, a Cult Lehman Russ is not a bad add-on at this point. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or add in, you know, like, a couple of Rock Grinders. 
Yeah, yeah, to keep that with the too. wield, the the wield a theme. Yeah, rock grinders would be good. There's also the option, uh, you know, of like if you're wanting some heavy hitters, like you've got aberrants that you could potentially add in, you know, to give you like more of a, a heavy infantry or a melee option. But yeah, a lot, a lot of flexibility is where you can kind of go with that. But yeah, I think the inclusion of the Ridge Runner does kind of start to. It's like it's gently nudging you in a direction, right? but nothing else in the box really supports that direction, which is kind of an odd choice. Yeah. It's like I would have almost had them put in, rather have them put in the Goliath to make either the rock grinder or the truck. And then it's like, okay, now I've got, I can either make this kind of a heavy, heavy hitting choice, or I can make it into a transport for the neophytes. Like, yeah, it feels like that would have been a better choice. Yeah. But I wonder if it was one of those, hey, the Ridge Runner's a new kit, let's throw it in and make it look cool. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah I, I, I remember, I think I remember that this was right around the time that Ridge Runner came out. So, yeah. Also, there's no Gene Stealer, like, Pure Strains in here because that's technically a Tyranid kit. I think they kind of wanted to keep that in the Tyranid range. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. uh, and then, yeah, so it's just like, there, there were, you know, there were some decisions made here. I'm not sure if I agree with all of them, but there were decisions. But, yeah, if you just wanted to add in some stuff, this, I mean, this is a start collecting box where it's like, this is, this definitely gets you some stuff for your Gene Stealer cult. I just don't know if it's a good starting point for it. Yeah. Like. But I don't think there's a good alternative. There, well, the alternative was to go back in time and and buy that boxed game. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I, as a as a silky smooth transition, which is always great to call out, add you mentioned adding in like pure strain and you know, we talked about adding in like a brood lord. Is this a good time to switch over and start talking about our tyranids start collecting because actually uh, sure. I could see like pairing the tyranids start collecting box with the gene stealer start collecting box and like if you were to pair the two together, that actually would give you a pretty, I think would would give you an interesting starting place for for your Gene Stealer cults. Would you kind of run the Patriarch or the Broodlord as a stand-in for the Patriarch? Yeah, I would. Or? Yeah, I would just do that. You just because it's this because it's really the same. It, it's there's yeah there's very little difference between the models, honestly. Yeah. So you just run the you know you you'd run. The Broodlord as a Patriarch and then run your Gene Stealers, you know, as Pure Strain. And it it's an interesting way to kind of pair the two together. Um, but also, like, the Tyranid one, I think, works. Well, I don't know. We'll see if it works on its own. But I think it's an interesting set of models on its own. Yeah. Like, I, I, I do think that, I mean, a, as a, like, just doing combined force of, of Tyranids and Gene Stealer cults, like the Tyranids start collecting boxes would be actually a, a decent add on. Like if you were to buy both of these, I think Kevin's right. Like you could, I mean, you could literally just run a, a Tyranid detachment and a Gene Stealer Colts detachment. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Together. they both have the Tyranids keyword. Yeah. Yes. So in the Tyranid box, um, let's describe what's actually in it here. We get a brood Lord, a unit of Gene Stealers, and then a, and I always get the names mixed up. Is that a Trigon? That is a Trigon. That is a Trigon. That is a Trigon. So, interestingly enough, 
the start collecting box is $95. The Trigon by itself is 80. So, uh, from just a sheer like value model perspective, uh, this is pretty good. Like if you're wanting to buy a Trigon, this is not a bad box to pick up and it's, you know, in its place to be like, Oh yeah, I'll pay $15 extra to get more gene stealers and a broodlord if I, you know, if I need one. But yeah, I don't know what it, it definitely provides an interesting, interesting start to Tyranids. I'm a little bit surprised that they went with gene stealers instead of Termagants or Hormagants, but I don't know. What do you, uh, what do you uh, think, Richard? I, yeah, I, I kind of would have expected Termagants. I mean, they make sense in context of using the, the smaller plastic HQ of, of, the brood lord they just go along mm-hmm. with that um so i i think i think it is it is an interesting it it has d- despite what colors they are painted there like it has more of a, a kraken feel mm-hmm. uh, as a specific you know hive fleet uh feel Mo- a lot of people run kraken gene stealers as they are just really good that way yeah and it's interesting in in this one because Tyranids Tyranids almost have the opposite problem. Like there also can be a horde army, but they have that problem of like there's a lot of like small griblies and then a few like big things. And it's like you obviously want to put in a big thing in this start collecting box because that's the hook is like the big monsters for Tyranids. But it's like you either you either kind of had to go Broodlord and Gene Stealers because that's the only small HQ, or your big monster is like a Hive Tyrant. Or something like that, and then like, then you're really kind of locking in like what you're what you're building with this. So it's uh, which it's funny that you mentioned that because this is the second start collecting box for Tyranids. Right. The first one was a Hive Tyrant, a right. unit of uh, Tyranid warriors, and then a unit of gargoyles. Yep, right. Which is interesting thematically, but not a not a great start collecting box. <laughs> well, but. I mean, it makes an a- it makes a functional patrol detachment, as does this yeah, one. Yeah. Um, you, and that kit, I mean, this was the the plastic hive tyrant, so you had the option of: Do you want to make the swarm lord? Do you want to make a, a, a hive tyrant on legs? Do you want to make a hive tyrant with wings? He'll go great with the gargoyles. So, I mean, that's a viable choice. The warriors yeah. are a are a decent troop that provides synapse, which is very good. Um, yeah. And this is a box. Like, considering how popular fly rents are, uh, doubling up on that old box would be great. Yes. Yeah, that is fair. <laughs> I, I don't know if I would double up as much on the new one. Like, the Gene Steelers are good. Don't get me wrong. Gene Steelers are great. Like, double up on those. Those are fantastic. It's a shame that the Trigon Prime is still a heavy support choice rather than an HQ. Yeah, because like I'd love to be able to move him in as into an HQ, but but also that kit makes a malloc, so you're not locked into running two trigons right. if you don't want to. Uh, and then the the downside is the doubling up on broodlords, which isn't terrible, but I just like a little bit more flexibility for HQ slots. But yeah, mm-hmm. but this one is also this one comes in at 450 points, which is a, a pretty good right point I, value. For I will your, say for uh, the. Uh, as uh, someone who does a lot of converting, the the arms on that broodlord make really good rending claw arms for a hive tyrant. 
which is an option that is actually surprisingly absent from the plastic kit. Really? That's yep. that's surprising. So what you're saying is, if you double up on this, buy a Hive Tyrant too. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's see. So, like, let's say we 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 doubled up on we'll double our Gene Stealers, um, and this is another one where like you can play with the points by giving them different options. Um, we'll go ahead and make a Malloc because we don't want to be too repetitive. And we'll, we won't do the second Broodlord. We will instead buy a Hive Tyrant. So again, we're coming in at about $250 because Hive Tyrant is 60. Uh, depending on how we kit out the, uh, let's see, we want, let's say, do we want to go wings on the Hive Tyrant? I mean, you almost always want to go wings, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. yeah, I think so. And, uh, that's like we can get this list up to like the 960 point range with that. And we can get even closer actually if we do go ahead and run so like let's say double double devour flyrant um and two trigons, two gene stealers and a broodlord, 1000 points on the dot. Yep. With with the way it's equipped. So uh this one if you if you're willing to to pick up the the HQ a, a second HQ just for some flexibility. This still comes in as a, as a patrol, two HQs, two troops, two heavy support, thousand points. It's it's gonna look different, and I think that is one of the things about Nids is because there are so many ways to to take a Nid army. Yeah, I I was when I saw them put this out, I was kind of surprised that it wasn't. When I think like start collecting box like i was almost assuredly thinking that they do like a turvagon which is the thing that that spawns termagons and then just like two things of termagons and then some sort of elite choice yeah that would that would make to- total sense i still kind of like that as an alternate start collecting box but <laughs> so yeah this one's viable it does kind of lock you into to one style of army, and we see that with a lot of the start collecting boxes, but at least this one makes a legal army that is yeah. going to be, you know, it's going to be fast and nasty and kind of fun to play, so. Yep. I just hope you don't get shot. I guess, do you start with the Trigons on the board? Or maybe with one of them on the board? Because, or am I thinking the Malloc? The, the um, Malloc's the one the, that can burrow, I believe. The, the right? Trigon is the one that, like, they both have reasons that you would start them in reserve, if you put the Trigon in reserve, it's the one that you kind of want to keep a troop back with it because it makes the tunnel to bring a troop uh-huh, yeah. with it. Ah, uh, okay. And the Moloch is the one that, like, comes up from underneath a, a unit and, and tries to nom them and deals damage. <laughs> Which, holding a Trigon back with a unit of Gene Stealers to kind of, like, effectively deep strike them, any, you know, that's that's a super useful strategy. Yeah. Also, if I remember right, uh, Gene's, this is actually a very, you know, we talk about start collecting boxes being new player friendly. Gene stealers don't have big problems with instinctual behavior. That uh, is also yeah, true. Yeah. So having synapse or not is not going to be that big a deal with this army. Very so it w- will it teach you the finer points of playing nids? Maybe not. But if you want to just play gribbly monsters, it's definitely a good start. 
So, yeah, I, I think this, I think, so, so far we're looking at, if we look at all five of these, orcs, no good, not a legal box, <laughs> and other, there are better ways to expand it. Craft world, you can kind of make it legal if you expand upon it, but no. it's not going to give you the no. best of craft worlds, right? <laughs> I um, give it thumbs down. Thank you. Uh, Tau has the problem of being Tau right now, but definitely viable. Yeah. Gene Stealer Cult, not really sure what it wants to be other than just a way to get more stuff. Maybe not the best starting spot. And then Tyranids actually works pretty decently for a particular style of Tyranids. Yep. Surprisingly, the Tyranid one is the good one. <laughs> Who'd have thought? <laughs> Who'd have thought? Who'd have thunked it? <laughs> in a in a stunning reversal of fortune. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that completes the series of start collecting boxes and how to start start with them, or at least our take on starting with them. And again, I think I want to I, I absolutely want to tip my hat. Kevin, this has been kind of your baby. You have taken this project and done all the the you know the number crunching on this and it's been a neat series to work on i figured after like seven years i should probably do something to help the show <laughs> just in time for them to retire the start collecting boxes exactly trolls <laughs> yep. exactly <laughs> no he did that on purpose because now he we've got the history of a baseline so yeah. when the new combat patrol boxes okay, come that's out fair. he's on i it. like that i like that you think fair. that i put those this much thought into it i i, I, I appreciate <laughs> that you giving me that much credit it's a complete lie, but I appreciate you giving me credit. <laughs> but no, that is true. Like we kind of know, like well, this was what they used to do, and now we we can look at the start. Like as the patrols have been coming out, we look at them and are like, okay, they should be hitting about five hundred mm-hmm. points. They should be making legal armies. So it's it's interesting to see kind of the evolution and are they mm-hmm. worth the extra money? Because some of these, as we said, are really good deals. Like the Tau one was a really, really good deal. The Tyranid one is a really, really good deal financially. So the combat patrols tend to be. So we'll see if this kind of shapes. And, and it'll be interesting to compare and contrast. Like when we get a new NIDS codex and we get a combat patrol with yep. it or we get an Orcs codex and we get a playable combat patrol with it. It'll be interesting to see what's changed. So, yes, I will give you the credit. <laughs> it would also be interesting to see what they do with uh, with the ones that, you know, factions that don't have starter, start collecting boxes right now. Um, because the Combat Patrol gives them a little bit more space to build, like, do things with custodes. Where, like, a $90 custode start collecting box is, like, a unit and maybe bikes. Like, it's it's very small. Having $140, you know, or this, you know, the the combat patrol price range allows them to maybe actually build something and, and put a box out for that or for like gray knights um, and some of these other ones as well that don't have start collecting because you know you, you can't actually build a thematic force at that level so I, yeah. I like the I like what they're doing with the combat patrols compared to the start collectings I don't know that initially I thought that way but I think going through this project has kind of exposed some of the flaws of the start collecting boxes um, and hopefully they continue to try to fix those with the combat patrols. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to go start wrapping up the show. First off, hobby progress. I have actually 
done some painting um and i actually over the since our last episode i finished painting sister amalia and canonist viridian two of the special issue sisters models i still have to uh put together sister tariana who was the one they released last year um i need to put her together but uh yeah i i managed to get those all done and in addition, I finished painting my unit of Sisters of Slaughter for my uh, Daughters of Cain. I've got the next set of 10 Witch Elves queued up. And I picked up, because I'm looking forward to playing some Underworlds over the next couple of months, I went ahead and picked up Dire Chasm and put together the two warbands that were in there, which was interesting nice. because the Lumineth warband the plastic had broken in a couple of spots because there are some very... Oh, no. Well, and and the tricky ones were one was the archer's bow had broken off of their body. And the Mm. that one wasn't too bad to to fix because, like, you could... Like, it had cleanly broken off where you, like, see where it had snapped and so I could, like, put it together pretty quickly and it had a couple other connecting points. The one that was tricky was the, the, like... Uh, the mage, like the the leader of the warband, mm-hmm. he's got that staff where it's got like hooks or like little rings hanging from it. The top half of the ring that connects the top of the staff to the actual staff body had broken off in the middle of the rings. There are two oh. tiny little contact points. And I managed to plastic cement that back together. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that, that, that could have been a disaster, but, uh, I think it's just the, you know, they do the colored plastic for the various war bands. And I think the, the whitish gray plastic that they used for the Lumineth, I, I just think was a little bit more fragile in spots than some of their other plastics. So, yeah. uh, but no, they're, they're all together. Everybody is happy now. So, um, they, so are, they just go into the paint queue. <laughs> now that you have actually like had a chance to work with some of the cow elf models compared to, the old high elves like what what do you actually think like i'm legitimately asking like i'm not trying to make fun of the design aesthetic necessarily but what do you actually think compared to like the old high elves i i think it's an interesting continuation i and i got a lot more of it because i also picked up the broken realms techless book which is a fantastic read i would put it up against the the gathering storm series uh from you know 40k's transition to eighth edition but uh, but there's a lot of like there's new Lumineth units in there, and so there's a lot of the artwork and and photos of the models, and so I got you know I've gotten used to the look, and I think it's an interesting evolution of the high of the high elf design. I think a lot of the basic aesthetics are there, but they're trying to take it in in a slightly different direction that's not quite so tied to like the old world and to like quasi European mm-hmm. design. And I think it, it does give the space a little, you know, more room to breathe. And while there's like some design choices, like you know the cow helmets, but I mean, there's like one of the one of them is in the this war band, and I don't I don't mind it. Like if I didn't already have Daughters of Cain that I was working on for my like my Age of Sigmar army, and I didn't already have like a bunch of the easy build uh, uh, Stormcast that like we got with the Soul Wars box. Like Lumineth would be really tempting, and I th- I think the the aesthetic is fine. There's some really neat models in the line, so yeah, I'm fine with it. I, th- I think I've okay. I've kind of made made my peace with it. Yeah, I I will say that like personally, I've seen a lot of the new stuff they've released because that's that's really what the last couple of weeks have been release wise, and I do like the aesthetic of a lot of the 
the elf characters and the elf models in the line. I don't, I'm still a little bit torn on like some of the bigger models because I think those are a little bit weird. But yeah, I, I I think they look interesting. Um, and I was just wondering since you've actually had a chance to like you know get your hands on them, what what you thought. So it's good enough. Yeah, no, I I, I think they're fine. And like most of them, like the mages look like old school fantasy mages. Mm-hmm. The uh, like if we, like we look at them. Yeah, the mages look like like mages. Their their banner carrier looks like an awesome version of an old fantasy banner bearer. Uh, the the wind spirits are kind of interesting. Like the new archer spirits they have are are kind of interesting, and they do have like a fluff reason why they have like they're kind of like animalistic. Mm-hmm. But like the new ballista they have is a huge upgrade over the old. Oh uh, yes, ballista. for yeah, sure. The ballista looks good. <laughs> The the new blade lords, which are totally not the the sword masters that they had before. <laughs> I mean, but it's again, it's like this th- taking some of these old concepts and redeveloping them, redesigning yeah. them for for a new edition and a new world. And I yeah. I think it's I really do think they've done a pretty decent job, and they do some amazing things with like those small points of contact and balance mm-hmm. that. Like those, some of those models terrify the thought of putting them together terrifies me. <laughs> but like, like the two, like the mage and the warrior, where the mage is like tiptoeing off of the, like the back piece of yeah. the uh, the warrior. <laughs> but it also lets him do things like the light of Altharian, that empty suit of armor model, which is just badass. Right. So there, I I think it's a great model line and it like i said it's a good evolution of the of the high elf line so um yeah like if you started one i wouldn't feel bad about about getting into the lumineth okay well cool all right i just wanted because like i said the more i see of the new models i'm like man this is really cool and it reminded me a lot of why i got into high elves to begin with but yeah i i wanted to know what it was like to actually put some of them together so all right, that's been our Age Not of Sigmar good. corner. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, then you just volunteered to do hobby progress. So next, so uh, I have not done a lot. Um, I've been I've been traveling a lot back and forth between here and home uh, for a couple of things. Um, I did manage to put my Priya Nexus box together, so I've got my uh, heavy intercessors and my um, the Necrons. I just blanked on what they called flayed ones. Yeah, thank you. I'm like the Necron things with the flayed things. Um, the, um, the flayed one models are really finicky (laughs) in a way that like not a lot of other Necron stuff has been, which is kind of odd, but, uh, so they, they've taken a little bit more time to, to build. And it's just kind of interesting because compared to the heavy intercessors, which are super chunky and super solid, uh, then you switch over and you build these really like finicky, uh, you know, one, you know, very small points of contact, like models it's just been it's an interesting like switch between the two but um yeah i've got those got those models put together i've cut off all of like the terrain off the sprue so i'm gonna start working on uh getting the getting that stuff painted up getting those uh that scatter terrain because I, I do really like the the scatter terrain that comes in that all right who wants to go next well i will go um i talked about like the um telemandra not needing the fist well it finally came in and this morning, I was finally able to get it put together. So once it gets primed, then I'll just have to um, paint the entire thing, and I'll have a Telamon with all three weapon options. 
Which, Very cool. That makes me happy. I have got Pidey and Pain leaders, the Palaquin and the um, Lilith put together. Or Palantine, sorry. <laughs> yeah, close enough. I knew what you meant. And then, um, I don't know, I had a weird um, thing of I just really wanted the Eldar Ranger from Blackrock Fortress. And found that it's out of print, so I went and got that box. I found some place online that still had it, and since it hadn't been selling for them, they sold it at a discount. Nice. Yay. Uh, yeah, because it was either that or like a $60 purchase of her on eBay. I'm like, I can just pay a little bit more and get everything. So I've got all the characters from that put together, and I still need to put together, well, all the villains slash monsters from that box, plus then all the rest of the piety and pain box is all i've got done in that box so far as the two liters so i i have put some stuff together but i've got a lot more stuff to put together that's my cool. stuff thanks uh the only thing i got done was putting together the chronomancer uh from the pariah nexus box um i haven't started in on the the flayed ones yet because yeah, like I'm not enthused about just only having five of them. Like yeah. I feel like I feel like flayed ones. If you're gonna run them, you're gonna want like a bunch of them. Yep, agreed. So, like I, I've just kind of put off put it, putting them together, and instead I'm looking at probably putting together some. I've got some wraiths, uh, Necron wraiths that I want to put together. So, oh, I thought you were gonna say Eldar. Nope. <laughs> no, he's not changing armies. <laughs> All right. And then that takes us to the last part of the show, which is the morale phase. And I think now that we are two thirds through it, I think we can talk about Falcon and Winter Soldier now. Yeah. It, uh, <laughs> the, the, yeah. Well, just the fourth episode kind of ends on, uh, well, there's a lot to unpack there. There is a it, lot it end, to unpack. It ends. It ends on a scene that I a uh, shot that I literally never thought I would see anything like that on Disney Plus. We'll put it that way. I was like, yeah. oh, yeah. oh, wow, oh. you you're lingering on that. Okay, this is the same platform that I can watch Cinderella on. This is weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Wait. So so it was Deadpool dressed up like Cinderella. It might as well been the way this went. <laughs> no, but this would this is only slightly more weird than that. So I will say this because I've seen ah, sometimes fandom is kind of the worst. I've seen people that are like have been like hounding Wyatt Russell on social media because of the character he's playing, and I want people to know that like Wyatt Russell is a great actor. He is doing the role that like he's assigned to. Like he's not a bad guy he's playing a character he's playing a bad character that you don't that you're not intended to like very very well which is why you don't like him like it's yeah don't don't harass an actor because they play a character you don't like that's i don't know why that has to even be said but don't (laughs) but he is he is really great he's really great as john walker and it's a really interesting like thematic comparison to what Falcon and Bucky are, but also like what Steve Rogers is. And like, I think it's very fascinating to see where they end up taking that and like what they actually do with the, with that character. Cause I I'm, it's really cool. <laughs> oh yeah. And I, I love how the feel of this has been like, 
so different. Like you had WandaVision, which was such a weird show at first, you know, eventually like near the end, it, it settled into like the, the more typical yeah. MCU climax. But, uh, but this show has like, they, they bottled the feel of both Captain America, Winter Soldier and Civil War. Like it has a lot of those thematic elements and just the general feel and i think we talked about it previously the cinematography on on how Mm -hmm. they like like lean in on we talked about it after the first episode when they like you know bucky's in therapy and we lean in really hard on on bucky's face and it's just very uncomfortable and they continue doing that like some of the camera angles that they've they use on john walker in this latest episode are they they like it's using the camera to tell you like what's going on in his head and how he's feeling. And, and I like the cinematography right. is fantastic. Uh, the way they're using, uh, you know, no, it's no secret that Baron Zemo, you know, that, or helmet Zemo, well, he is a Baron, you know, the villain from uh, civil war plays a, an integral part in this. And they've done a really great job. Like Daniel, Daniel Brule is still fantastic in this role. And he's a lot, you know, it's a lot of fun to see him work. Uh, Anthony Mackie is fantastic as Falcon. Yep. And I like that, like, in this latest episode, they leaned into the fact that he used to be a counselor. Like, something that is mentioned and, and seen once at the beginning of Captain America Winter Soldier and then never gets brought up again. And then mm-hmm. they bring that back out of his his history. I've also seen some uh, some people being uncomfortable with the fact that the villains seem... Like they're like the villains seem sympathetic and the heroes don't sometimes. And that's very much right along the lines of Captain America Winter Soldier, too. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's like people people were were very upset. They're like, well, but the Flag Smashers seem sympathetic and like I kind of go I kind of am with their ideals. But John Walker, the new Captain America, I don't like. And it's like, well, that's that's the point. Like. It it is it's much grayer. Like it's not it's not Captain America Steve Rogers punching Nazis in World War II. It's not that black and white. There's shades of gray. There's complexity. Like with the villains, you know, the, the Flag Smashers may have noble goals, but bad means. And someone like John Walker may be intending to, you know, uphold this legacy and be a good Captain America, but you know, that's and and Zemo kind of even says it multiple times in this movie and then in Civil War. It's like, that's an impossible ideal to live up to. So whoever takes that mantle is going to be more flawed than Captain America because, you know, that's the whole game with Captain America in the comics and in the movies is Captain America is always right. Like, he's pure good. And you 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 can't do that. Like, in this, in this you know, the next character that comes along can't be that. They have to be different. So I, I think they're doing a really good job of capturing the complexities of that and and creating this really cool visual world and style for these for these episodes while also being able to thematically you know hit on hit on what the themes of the show is which i think is what wandavision especially was really great at is that it had its themes of grief and trauma and recovery bled into how they shot the show and you know the setting and like the things that wanda did and like I think in this this case, you're looking at a show that's commenting on, you know, the morality of military and military interventions and borders and symbols and icons. And 
I'm really excited because this is something that I don't think would have been handled nearly as well or as in depth in a two and a half hour, you know, Captain America movie. I think you need to have close to six hours to be able to unpack all of it and kind of get the nuance of the characters because it, it could have been very easy to have the Flag Smashers just be a very one note, shallow, like, oh, you know, they're they're wrong, they're they're right, but they're doing it the wrong way. And like it's much more nuanced and sympathetic in the portrayals with how they're doing this, even though they are still clearly the villains. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just think it's I think it's a great show. <laughs> it is a great show. Um again, the action is is as good as any Marvel movie. The the fight direction's fantastic. The dialogue is great. The banter between Sam and Bucky is great as always. Um and and I've heard from like the an interview with uh the the director of the series that um Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie just have a fantastic charisma and a lot mm-hmm. of their banter is completely ad libbed. I could see that. Yeah, so like I they're they're apparently they became really good friends while doing uh Civil War and uh yeah, they're well doing Civil War and doing, you know, Winter Soldier, but they became good friends and they've just got this natural chemistry and they play off of each other really well. And it it comes through in in their portrayal on screen. And mm-hmm. yeah, it all like there's also this great theme of legacy and who deserves to have a legacy, who should carry it on. Should it be carried on? Should it be its own thing? Should it be retired? You know, there's, there's a lot going on in this series and it's just a really, it, it's again, uh, you know, just like they did with WandaVision. It's a show that I, I, I'm looking forward to every episode. I'm almost sad that there's only six episodes, but I also yeah. think that, there's a sweet spot where I agree with you that a two and a half hour movie would be too short, but like a, th- if this ep- series was like 13 episodes at an hour long, I think that would be too long. I, I think, right. I think this hits just like the pacing is really good on that. And I don't think you want it to take any longer than that. And from what I understand, they're kind of aiming for that six to eight hours of mm-hmm. storytelling for the the Marvel series and just like WandaVision was nine episodes. This one is six episodes. I don't know how long Loki's going to be, but that starts in mid June. Yep. So, but yeah, no, it, it, it like WandaVision was not a fluke. They're hitting it out of the park with the uh, TV series. And I'm excited to see what happens next. I think they've hit on a strategy of like, let's make the show fit what the story needs rather than kind of the other way around because the flaw with the Netflix, well, one of the flaws with the Netflix Marvel shows was Netflix is like, well, we want 13 episodes. You know, we want 13 one-hour episodes. Each season has to be this. And it's like Disney, you know, with it being their own platform and their own kind of control over it can be like, no, we want to tell an eight-hour story if that means, you know, a six-hour story, if that means nine half-hour episodes, okay, let's do that. If that means three two-hour movies, let's do that. And I think that gives them a lot more flexibility to naturally tell the story in better ways, which mimics, uh, you know, things from the comics because you've got your short limited series, you've got your ongoing runs, you've got, you know, your little one or two episode one-offs. Like, that flexibility will open up a just a host of storytelling for for them going forward, which I'm excited about. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm excited to see the next two episodes and see how this ends. Cause I like, 
you know, like you said, Richard, there's a lot to unpack on that last <laughs> that last scene of this latest episode. Right. And I don't I don't think I expected it to go in that direction. Yeah, <laughs> no. I I did not expect that to escalate as quickly as it did. Yeah. So yeah, definitely check it out if you get if you can get Disney Plus. Um, check out Falcon Winter Soldier. Um, it's it's fantastic, and uh, yeah, it wraps up like we've got. By the time this comes out, the uh, the episode five will be out, and so yeah, episode six will be on its way, and yeah, this is gonna be really good. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, oh, I suppose we should check. Uh, Warhammer. Yeah, uh, Bellacor. Bellacor next week. Oh, oh yeah, nice. yeah, he's. <laughs> oh, so there's some other Sigmar stuff, but yeah. Yeah. Bellacore is, is going to be playable in, in 40k and in uh, in in Sigmar, so yeah, and the fact that they include a dying be- soul being sucked away uh, lieutenant, judging from the uh, helmet stripes, Primaris lieutenant on his base, because well, you can't have an awesome chaos Primaris character lieutenant. if there's not a dead Primaris lieutenant on the base, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for that. Bellacor looks awesome. I've seen yeah. people like do base comparisons of like taking the 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 you know, the the lieutenant and the base size and trying to compare it to other ones and they're thinking that it's going to basically be um almost Primark size, like it's going to be huge. <laughs> I mean, I would not be surprised if like the, because like all the greater demons are on different sized bases, but let's see. Mm-hmm. The uh, 130 mil for the great unclean one, uh, 100 and 100 mil for the uh, uh, for the keeper of secrets, uh, 100 mil for the uh, Lord of Change. The size comparison that I saw with the oval base and the model on the base and stuff like that is they put it in Mortarian range. Okay. So he's about as tall, and Mortarian's wings stick up a little bit more because his wings are a little bit taller, but yeah, it's, it's, that's kind of what they're guesstimating the, the size is going to be, that he'll probably be the size of Mortarian. And he, Mortarian's on a hundred mil base, so that would put him right in that Lord of Change, Keeper mm-hmm. Secret space range. I, I could definitely see it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that would, that, that probably works. And yeah, he should be about that scale. I mean, it's a long, like he's, he's definitely getting a glow up from his old, uh, <laughs> his old fun cast models. So, yeah. And the rules on him are apparently going to be insane. But, uh, yeah. So yeah, so we got that to look forward to. Yep. So, uh, so we'll have to find a new topic for next week. Cause we don't have a codex to look at. So, uh, we will, we will be, other, well, next episode's our, year. I would say next episode's our 10th anniversary, so we'll figure out something special yeah. to talk about. But until then, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. Good night, good gaming, and folks, go get your shots.
Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2 No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.